Hi, I'm Russell Kirkby, and this is my role-playing game channel, Sidario, where we talk about role-playing games with a general focus on Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. These are my five tips for 5e. When you're making your character, work with your Dungeon Master. Weave your backstory into your Dungeon Master's vision. Continue this relationship throughout the campaign, and you will find that this will add depth to your character, depth to your role-playing, and depth to your Dungeon Master's story. When it comes to creating your character's backstory, talking to the Dungeon Master is gold. That's where you're going to find the most useful stuff. I would personally share everything I can with the Dungeon Master about what my ideas are for my character, and they're going to help you weave your character into that world and make you more grounded. They're not going to be using it against you. They're going to be using it to create drama, because drama and conflict are what makes role-playing fun. Whether or not you use a voice or an accent or you play in the third person, inhabiting your character's personality is always going to be received well. Having a backstory, some objectives, some goals, even needs, this is going to be your compass to inform your decisions during social interactions and even combat. This is not a video game. You have total agency to play your character however you want. If your character doesn't want to do what the other characters want to do, then this is where you've got to get a little bit inventive, and you've got to find a way or a reason for that to happen. Now, that could involve some uh, discussion or dialogue. Now, conflict is always going to be drama, and drama is what role-playing is about. I mean, you don't watch television shows to watch people agreeing with each other. So having a little bit of conflict in the scene is not going to hurt anything, as long as it comes to some sort of resolution. So in the end, you need to accept the offers of the other players, and then move towards them. You might resist. The, the hero, generally at the beginning of the story, denies the call to adventure, and then after a little bit of wearing down, a little bit of friction, then you might just go along with it for some reason. There's going to be a point at which your character is going to realize that there is a reason to go forward. And it might not be the reason that you thought it was going to be. It might be something else. When you're in-game, you've given over your five senses to the dungeon master. So when you're in-character, you have to literally ask for those details, otherwise you are blind, deaf, and dumb in the game. So you need to know, what can I see? What can I hear? What can I smell? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? These are questions that are going to fill in the details for your character. These are your senses in the game. If you're in a dungeon and you need to get across a chasm, you might want to know, are there any bits of junk lying around that I can make a bridge out of? Um, because the DM's not going to just give you that information, because that will put the idea in your head and that will solve the problem for you. So you need to answer the question for yourself. Any sort of questions that are going to add details or flavor to the scene that you're playing, but they're going to be details that your character is going to want to know about. You don't want to ask random questions that aren't actually adding anything to the story. What you need to know is, is there something that my character can interact with? And is there something that I can potentially make a check for? Now, when you're talking about checks, this is an important point. A lot of players will simply go ahead and make checks without asking the Dungeon Master. It's not good manners to go ahead and make a check before the Dungeon Master has actually asked you to do so. You need to wait for the Dungeon Master to say, okay, make a sleight of hand check, make a persuasion check. You don't just go ahead and roll the dice before you've been asked to roll. Most Dungeon Masters are not going to ask you to even make a roll or a check unless there's some sort of possibility of failure. So if you want to do something, you can say, I'm going to investigate this door. I'm going to open this chest. You don't have to make a check. And you shouldn't go ahead and make a check until the DM literally says to you, okay, make a check. Be proactive. Give your character motivations. Everyone has a goal, an objective, a need. Find things to do. 
Talk to NPCs, get to know them. If it's a sandbox game, start a tavern. Look for a job. If you're in a dungeon, search the room, investigate the chest. Being proactive doesn't just mean that you need to do things or that you should necessarily go and investigate the chest. You might say, hey, rogue, this is your job. You go and investigate the chest. You know, I'm not doing it, it's too dangerous. When you're in town in some kind of social situation, you might want to ask the other players what they want to do. Find out what their goals and objectives are. Ask them if they want to go to any of the stores, if there's any NPCs they want to talk to, if there's anything in their backstories that they want to bring forward and reveal about themselves. You are working as a collaborative team. It's an effort from everyone. Be proactive and reveal plot, theme, and character through your actions. So when your turn comes along and you're sitting there thinking about, oh, what spell shall I cast? Oh, am I going to use this feat? Oh, which weapon should I use? You know, you need to be ready. You need to pay attention to other players at the table. You need to know what's happening. You need to know the context of the fight scene. You need to know what they're doing, what their strategy is, and what's going on, and be a part of that conversation. And if everyone at the table can do this, it's going to make the game smoother, faster, and more exciting for everyone. Now, if you're checking out the links below, please subscribe, and don't forget to hit the alert button if you want to get more of these types of videos. So it goes without saying, but Dungeons & Dragons is supposed to be fun. Some behavior is obviously um, not conducive to having fun or to good role-playing. You really have to come to some sort of consensus as a group. The DM needs to set the tone and make sure that everybody's on board with whatever the content's going to be. Read the room. Make sure that you're not saying anything inappropriate. It's hard to know whether you're the issue, but the, probably the easiest way to tell is if you've played with a number of different groups and the same thing keeps coming up. If people keep pushing you away or keep bringing up an issue with you or they keep telling you something, it becomes a trend. The issue could be with you. I think if you're a little unsure about how you've played something or something that you've said or done, some sort of behavior that you've uh, shown at the table, it won't hurt to apologize. Um, and you probably should make sure that the other players are comfortable with where you're going or what you've been doing or whatever that behavior might be. Role-playing is a collaborative effort, so please consider your other players and your dungeon master who may have put in a lot of time and energy into this, probably more than you realize. So remember to be respectful to your other players and especially your dungeon master because you guys need each other. You need them as much as they need you. Hello 
internet. <clears throat> internet. Hello, Russell. <laughs> Hello, Amber. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. How's things at your end? We are back and we seem to be live and stuff. We that, seem to be good. live with no issues. Hey, everyone in the chat. Uh, welcome. So, uh, if you're just joining us, we are a tabletop talk show and podcast brought to you by Dungeon Studios called The Game. And uh, we have someone in the chat here, Craig. Hello, everyone. It's been a long time. Hi, Craig. Uh, let me see. Where were we? <laughs> Clunky start. Um, but yeah, so lively debates, thoughtful analysis, plenty of laughs from us and hopefully from you guys. Uh, our weekly podcast is the perfect companion for any D&D fan. Uh, we stream live and interact with our chat on Facebook every Monday for us in the U.S. and Tuesdays in New Zealand, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. New Zealand time. Is, is it called New mm. Zealand time? Um, well, we we, can, we <laughs> could call it that. I mean, I don't see any reason why not. I, I think okay. that's reasonable, but it's plus 12 UTG. Yes. I, I can never keep those um, straight in my brain. But uh, all right, everyone. So it sounds like we're on. We're, you know, here's the thing is we're so used to jumping on the Internet and there being issues that we have to mitigate. And when there are no issues, it's almost like we don't know what to do. I know. Isn't <laughs> so it I have not yet heard about any issues. I think we're good to go. So I'm going to go ahead and start with our retcon rewind uh, from uh, last episode that we had. Jordan's here. Hey, Jordan. What's going on here? Uh, so, uh oh, are do we have issues? I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting feedback. I'm sorry, it's probably my fault. No problem. Well, yep, while you're fixing is. that, sorted, oh, sorted, perfect. perfect. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. I was no. expanding out our, our our stream on Facebook so I could watch it and see the see the chat, but I seem to be having issues with that too now. But oh, anyway, yeah. whatever. Ah. All right, Avery Whatever. says hi. Hey, Avery. Hey, Avery. All right, so from last episode, actually, yes. this is technically two episodes back when we talked about skill challenges. Mm. I promised everyone I had these extra tips and tricks that I did not get to in the podcast, said I would share them, didn't do it last week, did mention it last episode, and said, I will still do it, I promise. I did finally get it out today. So if it was something that you were waiting for, that you were interested in seeing, it's on the Dungeon Studios Facebook page. I posted um, our little additional tips and tricks for running skill challenges. Um, so go hunt that down there. And uh, that is uh, part one of my Retcon Rewind. Part two, uh, for those of uh, you who may be longtime viewers, or at least more than a few episode viewers, you will notice that Doc is not here with us again tonight. Um, I'm so sorry. I know that there are a ton of people that love to watch him. We love to have him on the show. Trust me, it is beyond, it is issues beyond our control at the moment and that he is still part of the show and he still will be with us at some point soon we don't know exactly when but we wish him the but, best and we miss but him. we can talk about him behind his back this is the perfect opportunity what are the things that we have always wanted to say that we can't you know right. what i'm gonna promote the Actually, heck out of everything to tonight because he hates it when i do that <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. what i'm doing excellent 
Excellent. <laughs> so is there anything, uh, I don't think you had anything for Retcon Rewind, right? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that and I did have something in my head like two days ago. I was, and then I didn't write it down <laughs> and it couldn't have been that important because it, I didn't write it down. So I you guess know I don't. It'll just be part of Retcon Rewind next week when it like pops into your head and hopefully mm. you write it down. But, yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. All right. Well. Is well, that then, Retcon Rewind then? That's Retcon Rewind. There wasn't a lot. I think we did a really good job in our podcast yeah. last week. And I felt like there wasn't any holes that I had needed to like fill or correct or, you know, mm. address. Mm. So I think we did great. Yeah. All right. I, I did come across a little bit manic last week. So, you know, I'll try did and keep you? that now. Oh, because of your rants and your raves. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fine. Like I said, we need that uh, because. You know, we had Grumpy Grom, and then Doc right. usually has a bunch to fill in in between what I'm saying. And so, yeah, we need that out of you. Excellent. Well, so I'll feel free to it. rant. Feel free to rant. <laughs> okay. Fine. I will. <laughs> Good. Do it. Daring you. Um, okay. Double dare. <laughs> All right. So, dare. nerd news. Um, for those of you that watch The Witcher, very excited that it will be coming back. Season three will be coming back soon in June. Yeah. Do you watch it or did you play the games? I Okay, so The Witcher, I have played the game briefly. I did like it, but I didn't get much of a chance to play it because it was on somebody else's machine at the time in Los mm. Angeles a little while ago. Um, I have watched all TV shows so far, including the animated. Um, the animated ones, yeah. They're very cool. I haven't read the 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 comic books that I think they were based on, a, like a European, possibly Norwegian or something comic. I can't remember where it comes from. Yeah. Um, but it, I haven't haven't gone that deep into it. But I do love the series and. Yeah. Um, it's very D and D. I mean, very, very D and D. Certainly, my kind of brand of D and D. Right. Um, I mean, as much as The Witcher is a total edge lord, um, he's a very cool character. And I mean, the, the, there are other characters that are not so edge lordy, like the Bard, for example. And so, yeah, yeah. So I love. You it. know, actually, they did such a good job with that Bard in the show, though. I mean, he became like an instant hit. I think that first season. Yeah. Yeah, um, he kind of restored my faith in bards, actually, to be fair. <laughs> same, same. So, Craig, I feel you. He says uh, the games loved it. I am, I don't want to say I'm a bit of a video game snob, but I really don't know how to categorize this. I hmm. almost exclusively only play Final Fantasy games. Almost exclusively. I say that because it's it's that type of genre, like the solo player RPG. I love Legend of Zelda, and I love... The Witcher. The Witcher is... So think about this. Final Fantasy, if you know it, has been around for eons. Legend of Zelda has been around for eons. The Witcher is the only game that is new to me that I have right. played and enjoyed. Um, so it's like the new passion for me. It's, it's, it's just crazy. But it's a great game. I love it. Um, because it does kind of have that, that role-playing feel. Like you said, D&D. &D, it, it really feels... Right. Yeah, right. like you're in that world. So anyway, getting back to the news. Okay, so mm. Witcher Season 3 is coming out. Mm. Everyone has already heard about the news that Henry Cavill was not going to be uh, moving on as um, Geralt. As, as you're right. Yeah. And I'm and literally disappointed about that, to be I honest. I am too, because he is mm. such a super fan, and you can see that in his performance that, I mean, I think that's, 
across the board, I think people are disappointed. And we what, have yet do, to do, even do we, see. Go ahead. Do we know why he's not going to be I, the Witcher? Like, I have the... looked into it. And to be honest, I really don't know why. And I feel like maybe we might get some inkling of it maybe when season three comes out, because that's going to be the last season that he's going to be in it. Maybe right. that just it it just the storyline makes sense because in the games you know Geralt isn't always like the same you know it's okay so you know you're kind of playing different witchers gonna be like the like doctor who kind of sort of generates every 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 now and again yeah i mean if someone in the chat knows more about it let us know but that's my understanding is that i think it has something to do with the story and that they're just moving on to highlighting another witcher um And we haven't even seen Liam Hemsworth and his performance for season four. Or I'm right. sorry, is it season three? No, it'll be season four. But big here's the news. Huh? Big boots to fill. Very big boots to fill. And uh, what the news that I have, what I saw is that Netflix is now committed to an, an additional season of The Witcher before we've even seen Liam Hemsworth perform, they're already signing on for an additional season with him. Wow. So okay. we don't even know. I mean, we could get, you know, Geralt, or I'm sorry, not Geralt. Um, you know, he's pretty much Geralt. Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill is going to be gone. And they don't even know if we're going to stick around to watch Liam. And they're like, yeah, let's let's all in. Let's do another season. <laughs> so I am. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe they're. That. Maybe they're counting on the fact that possibly if it if it dips, if the ratings dip because Henry's left, mm-hmm. um, maybe they're expecting that, well, the new guy is going to prove himself. And by the end of that season, everyone will be back on board again. Yeah. So maybe they're giving it a two season shot in order to for it to prove itself because right. it is such a big money spinner for them, I assume. Yeah. Um, that's just a guess. but That's what I'm thinking, too. And I, I mean, not to put Liam down because i'm sure his performance i can see him as being a witcher i think he could do a good performance i think it's just everyone's disappointment (laughs) sorry folks um but yeah uh but yeah i think liam's gonna be worth a watch we'll see what happens now the other thing that's interesting um that is kind of on the sidelines of this news is that there is going to be a Witcher spinoff show. Um, right. It is currently in production, I believe, and they're featuring Dolph Lundgren, who's old. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of I'm right. trying to figure out where, where they're going with him. Mm. But it's going to be the, the, the talk is I don't know that this is confirmed, but the talk is that the spinoff is going to feature a group called the Rats. And if you're familiar with the Witcher um, uh backstory and stuff the rats are kind of like a teenage misfit group of bandits kind of not Um, mutants and they're not ninjas and they're not turtles though they're they're not ninjas and they're not turtles and i don't even know if they'll be human we'll see (laughs) um but yeah so and sorry i'm getting i'm trying to figure out how to put this all together so the spinoff dolph longren the rats and from what I understand, we will get a taste of maybe saying we're going to get a taste of the rats is not the best way to say that. We will we will we will see a bit on the rats uh, in 
episode seven and eight of this season three that's coming up. So we'll at least get a, a little idea of what the rats are and then they will be doing this spin-off show is my understanding so um yeah look out for splinter everyone (laughs) craig haywood said you look out for splinter exactly what i was thinking i was even gonna say that i was even gonna sing the tune you know listen to the words of splinter your master evil moves fast but good moves faster oh my gosh the fact that you know that (laughs) how how many times have you watched that movie (laughs) I actually fucking hate the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think they're fucking rubbish, but that's really? just my opinion. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who thought that was cool? You know what? But apparently it was. I mean, it sold stuff. I, I remember the back in the... There was a role-playing game of it before there was a TV series or a movie, and I remember seeing it in Dragon Magazine back in the 80s, but I assume it came from a cartoon or a comic book before that still, so yeah. I don't know, but... We thought it was funny back then, but when it got made into a movie, everyone I knew was kind of confused, like, why? But I don't know. A lot of people like it. It was all right. Let's be honest. It was all right, but not my thing. Excuse me. But I'm very critical of everything. So, you know, that's kind of my job here is to whinge. I need to whinge. And you have to Um, rant and rave as everybody else likes everything. And that's, you know, yeah, good. That's good. (laughs) <laughs> it's good that everybody likes everything. It's good that everybody likes everything. It gives me a point of difference. Exactly. There you go. Okay. Anyway. So anyway, that is all uh, my news for The Witcher. I just thought it was really interesting. I will be sad to see Henry Cavill go, but I am going to give Liam a shot and we'll see how it goes. Uh, next on the list, I thought this was funny. Not Okay. So the news that I saw was that James Cameron has been or is writing a new Terminator movie. That's not the news. The news is that he apparently was heard, overheard saying that while he's doing this, he really wants to have the movie inspired on AI and he's waiting to see how AI shakes out now in real life before he finishes writing this movie. And I thought that was so funny. It's like... Well, I mean, so, how long yeah. are you going to wait? Because AI is right. it's it's just happening. Evolving. It's just it's, happening. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's going to evolve fast enough for him to really find any good material to write this Terminator movie. So. Yeah, I mean, you might have to wait five to ten years for that kind of transition, but right. yeah, who knows? But, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Skynet, the AI in the first one, was pretty awesome, and there's a lot of stuff that's been based around it. We even have an actual Skynet company now. Do we really? You know? Yeah, there is a Skynet company. It's, I mean, I don't remember what they do. They might be like a TV broadcasting. So it's not, okay. But yeah, but <laughs> it's a cover. Like, yeah, they just thought it was a good name, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the first movie was so clever, really. The the I mean, it's it's very archetypal in, in, in science fiction in the sense that it's, it's basically a time travel story and everybody's ripped it off since then, you know, go yeah. back in time, save the world kind of situation. And the thing that happens in the past is the thing that generates the future that generates the past, that generates the future, this sort of loop that happens and so on. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I generally like James Cameron's stuff overall. He's a bit of a douchebag in real life, but um, from what <laughs> Avery I think, said exactly what I was about to say. You guys are too on the ball. I was going to say, this is what he's waiting for, is for AI to write the script for him. <laughs> I was, That's oh, probably man, right, I, was, I was politely <laughs> waiting to not cut you off, and dang it. All right, somebody caught me. That's hilarious. Perfect. <laughs> That's, 
fucking perfect. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to totally re reuse that a million times, but don't worry, I'll credit you, Avery, because that was very clever. <laughs> so brilliant. Yeah, I just thought I thought that was interesting news that yeah. he had to he he was overheard saying, "Oh no, I'm going to wait for AI to figure like let let go ahead and let AI take over the world, and then I'll write that story." Right. James Cameron's first movie was Piranha 2, I think. I, I, I read that some when I was at film school, and he apparently broke in. They, they tried to take it off him during production, and he broke into the studio and did his own edit of it and stole all the film reels. Oh, my God. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, was very, that was very much a sort of legend story. How much of it is true, I don't know, kind of like Spielberg breaking into was it universal or wherever it was and setting up office on, on their, on their lots as well. It was a good origin story anyway. See, um, now I feel like I have to watch it. It's one of these things that me and my husband, like if we meet celebrities, our idea of getting an autograph is not to get like the new cool thing. I want to find yeah. the crappiest thing that celebrity has done. Has and I want them to right. sign that. <laughs> That's what I want. Right. So I'll just get like a poster of Piranha 2 and be like, by the way, can you sign right. this? Can you sign this for us? Well, I mean, apparently James Cameron, I mean, he, he knows how to do most jobs on a film set. I mean, he started off as a camera assistant on Star Wars or something like that. After spending years smoking weed, I, apparently he woke up one day and went, I need to change my life. And he got a job on Star Wars as a camera assistant. And I don't know whether that's exactly how it happened, but mm -hmm. then he worked his way up from there. But a rumor has it that if, if you're on set with him, he pretty much can do everybody's job and he will fire you if you fuck it up. Like wow. he will take over the boom operator, um, the boom from the boom operator or what have you, and just do that job if he doesn't like what you're doing. Wow. So he's a bit of a wanker in that respect, I, I hear, but I don't know. That's I don't know. Yeah, I was imagining. I guess, yeah, you could be seen as a wanker, but... I feel like if I was in that position and I, I knew how to do all those jobs, then, yeah, I'm the person to know if you're doing a shitty job. <laughs> like, For sure. You don't belong here. For so, sure. That's interesting. I, I mean, yeah. I get that. What about the um, – I'm, I'm really interested to find out more about what's happening with this Dragonlance TV series that Joe Mangelio, whatever his name is, is – I, you know that's a good why don't we have that in the nerd news uh here so i'm gonna add it to the retcon rewind for next week to talk right. about this because you're right i am curious what he's doing about that right. because it's like we heard about it and then nothing else yeah I uh, and i'm also another thing for for next week might be to talk about how the D, D movie played out at theaters and whether it's making a return or they, are they going to make another one? Mm -hmm. um, have they made enough money yet to justify another movie? Um, I think I did see a few news reports. So, but I don't know if I want to just talk about it that, without having right done now, the research. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll tackle Similarly. that next week. Yeah. So yeah. And then uh, another uh, quick thing that I saw was um, there is a Nick Fury spinoff movie Um you know, with the Avengers, what is this? We're on like phase five, phase six, phase seven. I have no idea what phase we're on, but uh, <laughs> they have so much material out there right now. Uh, we just watched the Ant-Man Quantumania movie, whatever that one was. Wow. And I still have not seen the Guardians of the Galaxy, the new one. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out where, all, you know, I'm missing some pieces, right, to to fit all these 
you know, things in. But what I understand is that there will be this spinoff just for Nick Fury's character. And the interesting thing about this movie is that it's going to be like a twisty political thriller, but there will be no Avengers. Whatever the issue is or whatever he's there to save the day from or of, uh, he's going to be doing it by himself with maybe the help of like a few like folks from shield or something like that. I believe that he will also maybe have help from I'm going to I'm going to get this wrong and people are going to yell at me. Not the krill. Is it the krill? Who no, the krill are the bad guys. Who are the folks that can change their faces? The green alien guys. Oh, right. Um yeah, I I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. We, this is where we need this is where we need Dr. Platorius. Yeah, he knows he this stuff. And I'm sure yeah. people in chat know it too. But so I think my understanding is he may have help from those folks and folks from shield but that essentially he is the hero of the movie he is the only hero of the movie and it's coming out soon it's coming out june 21st so i am excited to see it i mean they've pretty much done a movie about each character individual character and we've not seen anything on nick fury but it's funny they're not going into any of his past they're picking up like where we left off with him so we don't i don't know how much we'll learn about him which is what they've done with the other characters you know we get individual movies we get to see their backstory how they got where they yeah the origin stories um so i don't know we'll see what happens Hmm. interesting very interesting craig you said you heard it was shitty is that are we talking about the same thing? Oh, squirrel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the girl from the old versus Jordan. <laughs> I mean, you know, it could be. I mean, not everything that they put out nowadays is 100%. So. Isn't krill what, like, whales eat? Or oh, wait, is that? That sounds right, too. You know, I mean, at this point, there are no original words. Every word has five meanings now. So. Right. All right, so that is it for my nerd news. I know you had a little piece of nerd news you wanted to share. A little piece of nerd news. Um, 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 where's my my notes? <laughs> I heard um, that you I'm... watched a movie. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, no, well, no, not. I watched it again. I watched oh, the again. Dungeons and Dragons Sorry, movie again for the, for the second time. Um, and it was pretty much how I remembered it. But that being said, I mean, I did I did notice a few other new things in there. Like um, somebody mentioned to me that uh, the characters that they fight. Um, or that that in, in the arena scene, there's like two teams: the the main characters team. And Did you say that team. you watched the Dungeons and Dragons movie? Me? Yeah, because I thought you said you watched it yeah. again, but I don't think we actually said the title of what you watched. Yes, yes, did I we, watched. The did Dungeons I? Did Dragons my brain movie. just short out and I missed it? Okay. I watched the Dungeons and Dragons movie <laughs> again. Yes, that's okay. all right. Um, and I watched it on on the screen on on at home this time, not not at the theater. So, um. Yeah, and I, you know, I noticed a few new things in there that were quite cool. Some, you know, I really enjoyed the way that they incorporated so much of the lore, despite people bitching and moaning about it. I mean, I think really, compared to most other attempts at taking some kind of canonical um, franchise thing and and adapting it to the screen, usually that is done in a very, very, very loose fashion. Look at June, especially the original June, for example, um, you know, David Lynch's version, where yeah. he's throwing in all sorts of nonsense that really has nothing to do with it, like the the weirding modules and shit like that. What the fuck was that? Yeah. Um, you know, so usually adaptations can 
often are really quite terrible or very, very far from the original thing. And in this case, I feel that the adaptations they made from the D&D game and the system and the sorts of stories that are played in that system was pretty accurate overall. I mean, they had things like concentration was a thing in the movie. Yeah. They they really didn't need to go that far, in my opinion. I mean, that to me, that's like a, that's a mechanic for the game, but they chose to include it. Why? 10 points, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. Okay, so the owlbear is not technically a beast, but it was, you know, cinematically, when you adapt something from one medium to another, you have to take the strengths of that medium. You know, it's not the same thing. There are different mediums. And so you're playing to the strengths of the medium you're adapting it into. And I think they did an excellent job of that. So, yeah, I loved it. Good. You know, it's nice to hear that because, you know, a lot of times I I just feel like with social media, it's just like a big hate bandwagon, you know, and once one person's like, oh, my God, and then everyone has to say, oh, my God, I hate this movie. I think the um, problem is that people just don't really tend to understand that when things are adapted from one medium to another, there are compromises and and you are looking to, as, as I said, play into the strengths of the new medium. Right. You know, if you're turning it into a radio play, it would be a different thing again. You'd play it very differently. If you're turning it into any other format, you're playing into the strengths and weaknesses of that format. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's um, – I'm not going to get too deep into this because I know we covered it no. – well, you weren't here, but we covered this in a previous episode. But I do want to say – so the thing that I had predicted was going to happen was – like you said, the owl bear, and there were some other things that they took some liberties because you because it makes sense in a movie. Yeah. You want to highlight right. that, and yeah, it's stretching some of the rules a bit, but yeah. it looks great on film and it's entertaining. And but my it's in the what spirit I, of it, that's the thing. In the spirit of it, but I knew afterwards I was going to see a bunch of folks get really upset when they try to play a druid and why can't I be an owl bear? It's not in the rules that I can be an owl bear or, you know, right. why can't I hit this guy 10 times because she did, you know, like uh, right. those types of uh, feedback that I'm seeing where people are getting frustrated trying to create a character to mimic what they saw in the movie because they think, right. It's supposed to translate back like a one-to-one right. relationship, and it doesn't. Right. No, so that is something I'm actually seeing in a lot of forums. It is so frustrating that I have had to stop commenting on those things. <laughs> I'm just it like, makes you wonder, like, what are people thinking? Do they do, do they not think about this stuff? Are they, the, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, I think I don't know. the bubbles. issue is that we are being, I don't want to say we're being flooded, but we are flooded with a lot of new DMs because D&D all of a sudden uh, just kind of grew quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and new players. New players. So new players, new DMs, they're still learning all together. And so when players are saying, why can't I do this? Then DM, new DMs are like, I don't know. Let's make it so that you can do this and everything's going to yeah, start to break down. If, well, you know, look, if they're having fun doing it, good for them. You know, I mean, fuck. I remember being 12 playing D&D and, and we did all sorts of nonsense and, and that that was fine. Nobody yeah. cared. Matt Mercer did not come smashing through the window with the fucking D&D police trying to stop us from doing whatever, you know? I mean, they didn't swing on, on in on ropes with the SWAT team and make us all lie down and hand over our dice. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how everything shakes out. I'm interested to find out 
once I do the research, how the movie did. And we can talk more about this next week because yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I do hope, yeah, I do hope that they make more. I think it would be good yeah. for everyone, yeah, for I think. Sure. Yeah. So, all right, perfect. Um, real quick, before we move on to our next segment, um, for those of you who are watching, if you're enjoying what you see, please share with your friends, share to your D&D groups, um, spread the word because we would love to grow the community so that we can chat with you all live while we're streaming and talking about all these fun things. Yeah, and all ask right. questions. Yes, ask questions. It would be great if we could get enough viewership to just have like a ask me anything episode. That would right. be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, if you guys want that, share. I should be looking at the camera. Share. Okay. Anyway. Sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, next segment is our week in games. And I um, don't have a lot. I know I didn't, I didn't have anything last week because I was on vacation. This week, however, I have so something. You didn't just play D and D on vacation. Like, what kind of player are you? What? what? Do Where's I your even D and D? Do you even D and D? Actually, oh god, man! If I could D and D as much as I wanted to, my husband would leave me. So anyway, <laughs> does he not play D and D? No, actually, he does. He's a player in my game. It's just oh, that cool. there is there are people who enjoy the game, and then there are people who like to live and breathe the game and right. i can see how it can be annoying so i have to tamper it down every once in a while for my i have to know my audience right all right <laughs> so anyway uh my weekend games so yep. the character that i play i've told everyone this was probably a few episodes back but my character who is an elven elite fighter barbarian type thing lives in the tundra all that stuff um her character had died. My my character, sorry, my character died. She died. Oh, no. And we are, the way that this uh, campaign is moving is almost like we're kind of in a planescape type of thing. We've been moving from plane to plane to plane, trying to get right. to the Lady of Pain and Sigil and all that. And somehow, and I don't know why, when my character died, they tried to bring me back and they couldn't. There was some dark shadow hovering over my body and like they could not revivify me. And so that led the DM to start kind of this mini adventure where everyone, it's almost like if you watch Critical Role, I think you said you're a fan, there was the search for Grog. So they kind of had to do the search for Mariel, her soul. And right. it took two, um, two sessions and our sessions are monthly. So you realize right. I have not been to, I have not played a game I've been DMing, but I haven't played my game in two months because I've had to miss the right. last couple of sessions because, you know, I guess I could have played if I was like playing another character for like two sessions. But I really kind of liked the idea of not knowing what happened while they did this adventure to bring me back. And right. that way I wouldn't be tempted to like metagame or, you know, right. I want to be able to come back fresh and go like, <gasps> and come back and go, what happened? And I don't know. So, however... We have a Google Doc where we keep all our notes. And I right. am the note keeper of our game. But if I'm right. not there, we have one other guy who does also, even even if I'm there, he helps fill in the notes. Like he'll correct something or he'll, you know, add extra detail because I can't type as fast as the DM can talk. Like we kind of tag team this thing. So he's right. there in the sessions and he's been taking notes. And I took a peek, took a peek at the notes because I was curious, like... 
what's been going on? Now, yeah, I, I don't want to be there in metagame. And uh, the notes are not going to contain everything. So at least I under I have a basic understanding of, am I alive? What exactly did they have to go through, like, right. in general to bring me back? Has it changed your character? That's, I'm waiting to talk to me, my DM. I was supposed to talk to him today. It didn't happen. But right. my understanding is that whatever they did to bring me back, there is the potential that, when I come back, I will be different. Is what I you're saw. You're going to be notes. a phantom, phantom rogue now. And we'll see what happens. So I'm literally just tense all day, waiting to hear from my DM. It didn't happen, so I don't know. You could be a lich. Yeah, I just have this ominous text that goes, "We need to talk," and I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's just been sitting there all day. So we'll see what happens but i know that i'm alive i know i will be there for the next session i have no idea what's going to happen to my character um yeah it'll be interesting so i'll let you guys know well my week in dnd um started off with sunfall on wednesday night which uh avery and jordan are both playing and although jordan unfortunately hasn't been able to be there because he's busy with work lately I have to question your commitment, Jordan. What the hell? <laughs> work, work, what? prioritizing work above D and D. What the hell are you? I mean, anyway? the next worst thing would be family. Right, and the family. <laughs> what? What is that? Family and work in front of D and D. What the hell kind of lives are you living? Um, anyway, no, that's obviously perfectly acceptable. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Sunfall. The characters have been infiltrating uh, money. Exactly. Um, they've been infiltrating the Red Fangs of Shargas, who have a, a couple of camps, three camps around the um, Vaingate city in Sidariel, in the Muldrayan Protectorate. And so the Red Fangs of Shargas are like the uh, Orkin version of, like, hit squads. They, 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 like, kidnap people, assassinate people, shit like that. They fly around on giant bats. And they've had these three camps established around Vaingate City for about two or, two or three years, um, hidden out in different locations, and they fly their bats in occasionally and, and do stuff. They've got, like, a hit list of people living in the, in the city that they um, are out to get who are, like, traitors of the Orkin Empire, the Ungor Ma'ark. And so the last session began halfway through a massive fight scene where they were infiltrating this this camp up in the woods, up in the mountains. And um, so they had to deal with palisades and they were sort of shooting down into this camp. One of the one of the characters, the, the barbarian, went straight in there and s just started hacking and slashing his way through the camp while I think Ferelt, uh, not Ferelt, Sornal, that's uh, Avery's character in this campaign, he's firing eldritch blasts down from the woods and what have you. And anyway, they, they kind of managed to get through it. Um, but I thought, I guess the most interesting thing about this uh, particular session for me is um, I was testing out a new homebrew creature. Um, essentially, I've put the Red Fangs of Shargas up against multiple groups now. And at the levels that my campaigns are sort of getting to now, they're sort of anywhere between sort of sixth level and ninth level characters. Um, in different campaigns. Um, they're, they're a bit of a walkover now. The Red Fangs used to be something to be feared, but now they're kind of like, eh, eh, eh. So they'll fall, <laughs> fuck you guys. You're not, you're not going to be scared of my Red Fangs? I'm going to make new Red Fangs. I'm going to have elite Red Fangs. Ooh. So I 
buffed the fuck out of them. And I gave their, and even their giant bats, I buffed them up too. It gave them a little bit more of a run for their money. So we had, we had some pretty cool scenes in that, especially after that fight in the camp when they're in the woods and they're being, they get spotted by a red fang flying over them. They've, they've gotten a bunch of scrolls off them that are written on Elvin's skin with um, a cipher for their smoke signals. They send smoke signals from camp to camp. Um, so they've got the cipher off that, and they've figured out a whole bunch of stuff um, from that. So Now, can I ask you real quick, did you yeah. give the party any kind of indication that these guys were different, or did you just blindside them and see what happened? Did I? I, I don't recall telegraphing it too much, to be honest. I, I think... They're similar enough to the original Red Fangs that they they didn't need to be kind of too telegraphed, I didn't think. And I also didn't dump, like, a bunch of them on them as well. I Rather than sending three Red Fangs at them, which was my previous tactic, mm-hmm. um, I just sent them this one elite Red Fang. Okay. Um, so that like because I knew I mean I knew that it wasn't so buff that it was going to blow the whole encounter. I knew they they weren't going to be in a deadly encounter with a with a red with this elite red fang. But okay. now I kind of had a chance to, to try it out and see how they work. Um, so the big thing, the actually the major thing that I did was I gave them a legendary action, which was they could leap off their bat with an attack roll that had advantage that did an extra ten points of damage and potentially knocked the person prone. Nice. Um, Kind of so like that a, was uh, charge. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, so that it was a bit like a charge crossed with a great weapon master attack kind of yeah. deal. Although they get advantage on this attack too. So um, I wanted there to be a way for them to go in there and smash somebody right up the front of the battle, no matter who it was. They would just fucking knock them down and put the fear of God in them. Um, now they can only do it once pretty much because once they're off the bat, the, the, the bat's now fighting independently and then they're back to being pretty much a slightly buffed normalish red fang. Um, Avery saying I sprung it on them. Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> um, I did actually try and telegraph it to you guys, but you kept failing perception checks, um, particularly Avery. You failed, I think, two perception checks during your watch overnight because they were flying overhead and you didn't see them for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, DM um, reasons, DM reasons. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, that was Sunfall. Um, then we had, uh, I guess the other big news, I guess, from my point of view is we're going to be streaming a one shot where I am not going to be playing. Um, oh, sorry, not going to be DMing. I am going to be playing. So I'm pretty excited because oh, I haven't played cool. as a player for fucking ages, like literally two, three years now. Um, I can't think of a game I've played in in that time. So I'm really excited about that. So I'm, it's Caitlin, who's one of our Vangate um, Chronicles players. Um, She's an, she's an actress and um, so I'm sure she's going to do a great job. So she's going to be DMing for you. She's going to be DMing. And the only thing I know about it is it's going to be, it's going to be the same group of players, except we're going to be, you know, I'm going to be switched into a player. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the, we've got a, a druid goliath which is an interesting choice and we've got a hobgoblin paladin and i'm going to play a halfling sorcerer slash rogue so i'm taking one level in rogue and eight levels in sorcerer interesting Um, yeah and i feel very underpowered actually um considering 
um, how I've seen other sort of eight, ninth level characters. This character is not powerful, but I've got a couple of fun things, which is <clears throat> kind of cool. Like a, I have a plus one sling, and I've got these. Um, they're not even magical, but the what do you call them? They're uh, slingshots that will knock people prone. Oh. They knock all damage, but they can potentially knock people prone with a strength check. So I'm really okay. excited about that. And as a sorcerer, I'm, I'm going to go into it playing this character that's very naive and optimistic and just the only thing I know about the campaign or about this one shot is there's going to be a carnival. So I know nothing really else about it than that. So I've decided that my character loves carnivals. He just loves carnivals because I'm guaranteeing that oh, this is a D&D game, right? So the yeah. carnival is going to be sinister. There's going to be some shit go down at that carnival, almost nice. guaranteed, right? So I'm going in there with the objective to love carnivals and then have a character arc where I come out of it going, I fucking terrified. hate carnivals. <laughs> you know, terrified. So I intend uh, to play cowardly, fearful, vulnerable character in this. Um, so I'm quite excited about that. That's what amazing. else is happening? So Jordan asked real quick, uh, when is this one shot? Uh, on the 9th, I believe. Uh, so June? not too far. Yeah, 9th of June, I believe that is when we're doing this. Um, yeah. We, our Sunday vampire game, which is going to be Saturday for you guys, um, is coming back soon. We did our session zero on Sunday recently, so I'm pretty excited about this. We've got a, a small, tight group of pretty experienced players who uh, have played a lot of Vampire. And I, I'm proud to say that we have a group that in Session Zero, we created a group of characters that can work together, that will work together, and are not going to just fuck each other or otherwise disperse and do their own things, <laughs> which is very irritating um, as a DM, you know? I expected you, you to having... say fuck each other over, but you just left, led with they're just not going to fuck each other. <laughs> and I'm like, did I hear They that? might fuck each other. <laughs> They might fuck each other, but they're not going to fuck each other over. Okay. <laughs> at least not initially. Anyway, we'll see. But they've got they're running. They've got a club and a business that that they're running together, and each of them has key components to that business, and each of them has something over the other characters. Awesome. So they can't easily betray each other, and they're yeah. kind of forced to work together, and they kind of like each other, more or less. So my objective at the beginning, I sat down with them. I said to them, basically, you know, there needs to be some intergroup conflict, but that your conflicts cannot outweigh your bonds. Mm -hmm. Your bonds have to be stronger than your internal conflicts or the intergroup conflict in, yeah, in a group conflict. Yeah. yeah. So basically so that, so that they stay together, but also when they are together, it's still interesting and there's still drama. Um, so that was my objective there. And I guess last but not least, uh, Sun, not Sunfall, I talked about that. The Burning Path. We have a new player coming to that, Caleb. Um, he came in last night. He was great. Um, they finally made it out of the aquifer. They, um, they had a, I had a map where I had um, this kind of river that was um, expanding. So every couple of rounds, I went in there and just resized the size of the of the river on them. So it was constantly lapping up against them as they were oh, um, fighting. Wow. Um, so the water was getting higher. I don't know how effective it was. I thought it was kind of cool, but nobody commented on how genius it was. But maybe it was in the, the execution. <laughs> well, I'm going to say I haven't seen it, but I can tell you that sounds genius. I thought it was a cool idea. It was That's kind of cool. the concept of the fight, but. Um, I probably should have taken it a bit further. We'll see. Yeah. And then they uh, 
the, 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 I had real trouble with this wizard after that who kept um, doing things like hasting, hasting himself and casting invisibility. And then they tracked him to the edge of a cliff and they were like, well, where did he go? And Avery's character was like, ah, he's probably cast Featherfall. And both him, him and one of the other characters had spider climb still running. So they, they decided after some conversation to go chasing him down the side of this 300 foot drop. Um, whereupon they got to the bottom and couldn't find him and they started wondering, well, maybe he did something else. Uh -oh. um, so, yeah. And then the <laughs> poor old Brokan had to carry Avery's character back up the cliff after because Avery had one spell slot left at that point, which he cast Spider Climb on Rokan and Rokan had to carry him back up. <laughs> so that Team was interesting. Work. Teamwork. Bit of teamwork there. So I'm looking forward to getting um, this game back into the city after a fairly long dungeon crawl of about, I guess it was like three or four weeks worth of going through the aquifer. Wow. Um, and we can get back to the serious job of role playing instead of um, rolling dice and killing stuff, which yeah. is fun too. But, you know, um, the role playing generally is more interesting. So, yeah, new character there. And I've got a new player joining on my Wednesday game too this week coming up. So that will be interesting. That's it's always awesome. exciting with new players. Yeah. So that's yeah. my week in D&D. &D. Role playing, I will just to tack on to that real quick because I know, you know, you're very much a, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? A, a pro, you're pro role playing. That's That's not the word I was looking for, but I will just use that. And... I was talking with a few of my friends in the game that I play in, the one where my character's dead and I haven't played in two months. And even though I've been DMing, there's just not enough meat there for me to role play when I'm DMing. Like, I, yeah, I can't be in my character. And I realized the other day I was doing dishes and I'm already thinking about my next character because this campaign that mm. where my character's dead, we're heading into the end game. So I know we'll probably be starting up another campaign soon. Once we get to the Lady of Pain, that's probably it. So right. um, I've already got this character that I've been kind of hashing out in my brain for the last almost year. But finally, wow. now I'm like, I built her in D&D Beyond. And then I actually made a mini on Hero Forge just to like, see like, okay, do I want her to look like this? Do I want, what am I going to do? But really, the hardest part was the voice. Because there's a few voice voices, accents in my pocket that I could use. And I was like, God, yeah. I don't know if that sounds right. I don't know if that sounds right. So I'm, I'm in my kitchen doing dishes for, I don't know. 40 minutes or so and yeah. i i have like my phone up in front of me with like just get to know you questions and i'm looking at the questions and i'm just kind of like trying out a few voices and talking to myself talking to myself for 40 mm -hmm. minutes <laughs> mm -hmm. and yeah. then until i dial it in and i realize oh this is great oh i can feel it now i can see her i can feel her right. but that's how much i realized today when i told my friends that that's how much i miss role playing i am role playing with myself in the right. kitchen because I haven't done right. it in two months. So. Right. No, that's fair. And role, yeah, I mean, DMing and role playing, D&D &D is a lot harder to do because it is so kind of party centric and focused on uh, big objectives, usually, you know, killing stuff, right. frankly, is mm. sort of the D&D kind of has this pre presupposition that you're going to go and kill stuff. Um, and there's probably going to be dungeons and there's probably going to be dragons sooner or later. So there's this sort of, you know, so a lot of 
encounters, even social encounters, are kind of perfunctory. They're there in order to further the plot. You don't get a lot of time as a DM to sit in a character for more than a few minutes and actually find who they are, you know, um, which is why, honestly, sometimes bringing in old PCs, not necessarily the characters themselves, but if you've, you've played a PC and they've had a voice, you can use them somehow um, mm. in that respect. But, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, other games, I mean, I guess Vampire is a little bit more, um, it's a lot more focused on the role-playing, so you do get to go a lot deeper in the characters, even as a DM. Yeah, um, I can't so, wait to yeah. try that out. Yeah, well, I would love to run a game for you sometime. Yeah, I, I'm. Cool. We'll we'll have to live stream it or something. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. All right. What else so, we got? Well, uh, did, I'm. The next segment is your unsolicited opinion. Uh, did you want to do that um, now, or are we doing that right before the topic? I wasn't sure. Well, probably now. I mean, it's it, this kind of leads into the topic. Now, I mean, the topic that we're talking about today is going to be backstories. Right. Um, so I thought in order to lead into that, we should talk a little bit about what is a character. Um, because that in itself is quite a big subject. And I don't want to go into like totally like don't want to make this the topic, but yeah. it is a topic of, of its own. But just to sort of summarize it a little bit, um, literarily thinking about what is a character, not just in the sort of PC, D&D role-playing sense, a character is kind of an engine for ideas. And if you are writing a story, for example, um, the way that characters appear in, in movies, for example, according to people like Sid Field, who's like a screenplay writing guru, um, what you're doing is you're taking a, a central question, which is tends to be that's that's a theme a theme is a central question and then in order to reveal about you know to reveal the central question or the theme you create characters that are polarized that have different points of view and different stances on things and different objectives and that's your conflict right you've got your antagonist and your protagonist they're in conflict for whatever reason because they're polarized characters um, they have different philosophies running behind them, whether they're complex philosophies or very simple ones. Um, and they're kind of butting heads, pushing against each other. That's kind of the most basic point here. And by having characters that are polarized within the within a central question, um, you are giving voice to different points of view and the, through that conflict revealing aspects of that theme and, and as, a, as a writer your own personal prejudices and point of view are going to come out as the ultimate winner or if you're writing right. it from an economical point of view you're writing a hollywood film everybody has to have a happy ending or something you know for example depending on the genre mm -hmm. um, whereas you might write something for a different genre that doesn't have a, a kind of economic um, agenda you might write something a little bit more arty or you know deeper in that Save respect. the penguins, yeah. Save the penguins, yeah. you know, or you might be, you know, your personal tastes might be kill everybody and and and, and watch the audience cry, <laughs> you know. Um, so what is a character? Again, we have sort of like physical traits. So what do they look like? What are they carrying? How strong are they? You know, what are their various physical tra traits, which we in D&D have stat blocks and stats mm. to describe? Um, we have emotional traits. How are they from an emotional point of view? How stable are they? How happy, sad, love, anger, fear? These are the sort of five emotions that actors tend to talk about. 
um, their mental state, and most interesting is their ethical sort of stance, you know, how they're going to react to certain ethical situations depending on how they came about. Um, so in D&D, &D, when you're making a character, it's a little bit the same and a little bit different. I mean, I guess the main thing is that you are not, as a player, beholden to a theme or a central question, but I suggest that considering it from that point of view is a, is a great way to open up a can of worms that will give you tools yeah. to create a character that's not just a set of stats and an inventory and a vague backstory. Um, so, you know, when, for me personally, when I make a character, like I'm making this halfling character for, for Caitlin's game, um, I'm thinking about what aspect of myself do I want to explore? And I'm thinking about, what is the game about? So I know, I know it's about a, a carnival, so I need to make a character that's going to work well in a carnival. I'm not just going to make the character that I think would be the most cool character that I can possibly build. That's that's not the point. That's not serving the story. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to serve the story first. So that's, that's a big consideration. Um, and so you're breaking the character down further. You have things like there's sort of three or four elements that make up a character concept, such as occupation, their lineage or race or whatever you want to call it, um, their history, and then most importantly, their relationships. So because those relationships are how you're going to reveal your character. If your character has got nobody to talk to or nobody to interact with or nobody to be in conflict with, um, or no allies or what have you. There's no way to reveal your character. Your character is just all in your head. I mean, your character right. does nothing. And, and it's like, yay, you've got a character. We know what they look like, but so yeah, not, we're not learning anything about your character. And there's no way to go with that. So you're also trying to think of a character that's going to have somewhere to go. Um, so there's going to be a character arc, some sort of development. That's, that's what's interesting. I mean, in terms of movies and TVs, TVs, TVs. Um, <laughs> characters can either be, you get these sort of static characters. If you ever watched the original TV show of the Hulk, right? Yeah. Um, or Kane from Kung Fu. Every episode, Kane turns up in a new town. There's a problem. He solves it with Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. He leaves. Next episode, Rinse new town, me. new problem, solves it with Kung Fu. He doesn't really change much over the course of the series, and, 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 but there are occasionally bigger changes. But the thing is with Kung Fu, that TV show, is they, they still managed to get character development in because every episode was there would be the main story and there'd be the flashback story. Uh. And the flashback story is where you would see his character arc. You would mm -hmm. see him changing, learning things in flashbacks. That is how he learned the ultimate lesson that he needs to defeat the problem that's in this town mm -hmm. uh, at any given time. So that's kind of cool. So knowing uh, we'll be getting into backstory later, but knowing what your objectives are going to be and having a backstory that plays into the, the, the present day story um, is kind of important. So, there you go. That's that's some stuff there. Um, I also, I guess, wanted to talk about objectives because characters need to have objectives. Um, and when you're when you're acting in a play, for example, um, you are going to have objectives in every scene. But your character also has what we call a super objective. Your super objective is the big thing. It's like, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want is the... the What's going to make your the, life complete? 
Right. That's the ultimate question for your character. What do you want? Is it to be in, is it to fall in love? Is it to get married? Is it to be rich? Is it to conquer the world? Is it to stop the evil dragons from taking over? Blah, -de blah. Um, is it to kill the guy that sacrificed your dad on the blood altar of blah? Um, whatever the fuck it is, your super objective should be really, really, really big and really, really, really hard. And preferably, if you're playing in a role-playing game, something that the DM fully understands and has comes from the world. You didn't just pull it out of your ass and then dumped it on the DM and said, there you go. Yeah. Um, you know, now you can bend your whole story this way to, to, to fit my character. Um, I mean, that's you can do that. But and, and a nice DM will put up with that shit, but I won't. <laughs> no, I will. I will. I will integrated but that's not that's that's a different thing so you have super objectives and objectives your objective you should have an objective in every scene hmm. what is my objective in this scene what am i ultimately trying to do you don't want to just wander waffling through a scene i mean i'm, I'm talking about from a role-playing point of view here obviously if your objective might just be to survive or it might be to get from here to the next door in the dungeon um or it might be to barter the magic item down to a m amount of money that I can afford, or it might be, you know, to steal the thing, whatever. But you do need an objective. And if you don't have a clear objective, you won't know where you're going. So I think that's important. Um, alignments are part of D&D characters. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. I don't really use alignment because I find them to be oversimplified. Yeah, but... same. I, I have problems with them, but, uh, yeah, but they are a part of D&D. They are a part of D&D. I use them as a DM when I'm running a module to go, okay, this character is chaotic evil. I know how to, I know what that means. Mm -hmm. But then I still have to extrapolate and make a character out of that because that's not a character. An alignment is not a character. It's, it's a very vague guide on a part of a spectrum. Mm -hmm. right and then you have to fill in the rest of that and and that's because that's not enough um a really cool mechanic for making characters for character concepts which again i'm going to draw from um, white wolf game studios and vampire the masquerade especially the first editions they had a thing called nature and demeanor um which i i just think it's the coolest bestest thing ever <laughs> because the system is built up for role playing and not for killing monsters so your nature is who you really are and your demeanor is who you portray yourself as. And you choose from a, a list of archetypes. I'm just going to give you a quick brief rundown on what some of these archetypes are. Like, for example, addict, adherent, adjudicator, advisor, analyst, cavalier, child, celebrant, competitor, confident or confidant, conniver, critic, crusader, curmudgeon, um, explorer, loner, judge, uh, honest Abe, healer. Uh, yeah, these are plotter, great. Perfectionist, penitent, rogue, stoic, sycophant, traditionalist, trickster, visionary, vigilante, right? These types of things. Mm -hmm. Now, you're choosing, and the list is a lot longer than that. Um, so you choose one of these archetypes for your nature, who you really are, and one of these archetypes for your demeanor, who you portray yourself to be. Mm -hmm. Now, the more different they are, the more polarized they are, the more opposite each other they are, the more inattention you immediately have a character, instant character. You have a character that has inner conflict, bang, just like that. Yeah. You, it's 
just amazing. And if you if you try it, I promise you it works because you can feel it. It's it's intuitive. It works. Uh, here's a really great example. It's probably the most obvious example. You can have a character that has the nature of a child and the demeanor of an architect or a uh, cavalier or something like that or bon vivant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, if your inner nature is child and your outer nature is, say, gallant, um, you run around being all gallant all the time, blah, blah, blah. But when you get pushed under pressure and you start to break down, mm -hmm. that's when your nature comes out. That's when you reveal yourself for who you are in front of the others. And that's your that's a cause of potentially embarrassment or humiliation or in vampire that could bring out the beast. Yeah. Right. Your, your humanity um, is at stake, you know, for example. Um, deviant, that's another great archetype. So there's some ideas for building a character straight off the bat um, very fast and very really good in a conflict. I mean, you can choose archetypes that are similar to each other, and that's okay. That, that works. But the more polarized they are, and I keep using this term polarized because that's drama is conflict, inner conflict and outer conflict. These two things are what makes characters interesting. Um, so, you know, you, you and, and I guess the last and final thing um, really is vulnerability. If you're making a character, they should, I mean, okay, you've got edgelords. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing about an edgelord character is ultimately they're covering up some sort of vulnerability. Right. At the end of the day, that's what they're doing. I mean, why else would you build a character that, that can't be hurt, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's, the, that's, that's really what you're doing. Whether you're doing it consciously or subconsciously is a question you have to ask yourself. Are you doing it because you subconsciously are trying to build a barrier so you don't get hurt? This is an escapist fantasy game if you're talking about D&D at least, so there's that. But if you are playing Vampire or some other game that has kind of got a more serious tone, you might be doing it because you consciously are making a character that doesn't want to get hurt because you know that the story is going to bring about that pain and that trauma. Um, and so you're looking to actually play that out and show us what a great storyteller you are by doing so. Um, I'm going to have so, to look yeah. into these. What did, they, what did you call it? Nature and demeanor demeanor because yeah. as i mentioned you know trying to think of this new character for the next campaign i knew right away that i wanted her to be kind of a, a consummate liar because i want me personally i want to explore being able to kind of improv on the spot make up a story on the spot make up you know like basically so i feel like my nature will be one thing, but my demeanor will be so far away from that because I will right. be lying about right. everything about my history, right. my past. And so I'm going to have to look into that because that's, I hadn't thought about the personality of that yet, where, where right. I'm going to play that, how I'm going to play that. But I think looking at those tables might help me. Yeah, I just great. I just flicked you a link in Discord actually with um, the list that I was reading from. I mean, awesome. I just found this rest of this list um, earlier today, but it's reflective of the books from the Vampire series. The other thing you can look at is things like the MBTI. Is that how you say it? Uh, M MBTI archetypes. Myers Briggs. Um, yeah, Myers yes. Briggs. Yeah, I, I mean that's another great. That. Right, another great system that you can utilize. Um, yeah. It is way more complicated. Yeah. And hard to get your head around but if you can i mean maybe you can try doing the mbti test as your character 
Yeah. Um, oh, that's an interesting kind of that way to go. A, that is. Yeah. Oh right. boy. See now. Okay. We might have to make this into a topic for a show because this is what I do in my real life is we go to companies and give them these types of assessments, personality assessments, right. teamwork assessments, right. and MBTI is one of the ones that we use a lot. There's a few right. others. Um, and we, I've kind of been tossing this idea around about how to use this to help you, you know, I don't know, in D&D or with your character. Right. or so. I believe we, I'm an ENFP, by the way. Really? I'm an ESTJ. <laughs> <laughs> that makes yeah, sense. Uh, I feel like we'd have to be <laughs> ease to do this kind of job. <laughs> That's so. true. All right. Well, uh, that. That's my yeah. That's my rant. That's your rant, and that is cool going rant. to lead us into our topic after the break. Um, we are going to be headed here into a break in just a second. But what I want to tell you guys about, stick around for the break because last week or so, Dungeon Studios put out a like a little flyer ad saying hey if you uh, are into you know if you have a band or if you have music videos that you want to promote let's work together because we want to promote you we want music videos for our break vice versa and unless you're rubbish that's right you did say you have to be very good i think is your exact words <laughs> might have said fucking good you but, yeah. might have said that and yeah. we got a lot of submissions and there was one it's funny because there's a few of us that kind of have access to see these and i saw this one come in and i watched it and i happened to be going grocery shopping as i'm watching this thing and i couldn't look away i had to stop in the grocery aisle and watch this video and then i picked up my son from school and as we're driving home, I basically handed him my phone. I said, you need to watch this because it was a really good submission. It was a really good video. And this video is going to be in our break. So if you guys cool. are here, stick around and watch it because it was really cool. It was so good. So uh, for the break, we have Alamance. This is the video. Their video is called Singularity. Oh, it's just so good. Chef's Kiss. If you're out there, if you're watching, if you're listening, loved the video and then we also have arcane anthem they have been on our breaks before so i'm glad to have them back and then we have a few deception checks uh featuring our own josh mcginnis and michael riley so those nice. if you've never listened to them before folks it is a real calls real people real deception D, &D crank calls basically and they are really funny um Okay, How so, ethical is this? I know. Are we allowed to do this? I guess no one has stopped us yet. So no. uh, anyway, everybody enjoy. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, character PC backstories. There All you right. go. Enjoy. See you soon. Tentacle faith is ionic blood Harness the patrons, accrue its 
to the way your mind is played right there before me I'm an aberration creeping in the underdark just looking I share everything with elder brain we speak with telepathy lawful evil eat your brain I drop your HP down to nothing show me what's inside your mind behind that pretty face I can't dominate monsters but they take once a day and you can lead your bodies to me make them wish they fled I'm in the heads inciting dread and now they're wondering what are Hi, my name is Sebastian Kamor. Uh, I have a client, Mr. D. He's chosen to grace your establishment with their presence on the 18th. Okay. Uh, it's quite the honor to be chosen. My client is known worldwide, and let's just say that their followers run into the millions. They, uh, they hold sway over an untold number of souls, so I assume that your establishment can hold a client of this magnitude? Uh, yes, I mean, I don't know what kind of request you're asking me. Excellent. He's very particular. Uh, so the expectations, we just need to know that you can accommodate the following. Do you have a pen handy? Give me one second. Sure. Okay. Uh, do you sanitize your establishment? The entire establishment? I can't do that. Oh, we do require that the door handles specifically be thoroughly sanitized before we arrive. The handle? The door handles? Yes. Okay. Uh, also, we do require that the heat be set to 85 degrees, 36 minutes before they arrive. Will there be small children at the establishment? Most likely. Okay, we will just have to ensure that none of them look directly into his eyes. I'm afraid I can't meet those, I can't meet those requirements because I, I can't really tell my clients not to do that. Well, well, let's see if we can uh, at least get through the last one, and then we'll be able to make a decision. His entourage is uh, six, uh, 13 seats total, okay? Now, they will have orders. The waitress will take the orders, but you guys will not bring any of their food because they don't deserve it, and they need to learn their place. Uh, you know, I'm afraid I can't, I can't do this. I highly recommend you take our offer. It's not, it's not about the money. It's not, well, then so what is I it really about? Might, yeah, but your requirement is what you're asking me. I can't really tell my service not to, you know, not 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 to, um, not to serve them or not to like approach them. I can't. Oh really no, do they'll that. be able to take their orders. They just won't be able to bring them any food, and we'll make sure that you pay. We pay for all of the food that they bring. Uh, I can't do that. I'm so sorry.
guys. It's Aaron. Hey, Aaron. This is Tolan. Hey, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? All right. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Hey, uh, I was wondering if you guys uh, might be able to freeze something for me. What's that? Uh, all right. Well, first, I just want you to understand what it is, all right? Uh, listen up. Here's what happened. So things went a little haywire up at Old Outdoor's place the other night. And uh, up at Old Outdoor's place. Uh, okay. and, and one of our fellow party members passed away, right? And my whole party has left to go get the cleric to perform the resurrection. So I was thinking maybe you guys can freeze it for like four or five days. Freeze what? Our party member. You know, you could just oh, stick yeah, her probably. in the back somewhere. She, she's real small, won't take up too much space. We could hang her from one of the hooks. She'll look well, just like a piece of meat. We probably can't freeze her, but we could probably send her down to the We could probably do something with her. Go Send her down where? Down to Chancellor up the road. Now, what what, you, what are we talking about? What passed away? Uh, one of our party members. She's she's a uh, real small uh, halfling, about four foot five. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely want to go to Chancellor with that one. Uh, well, it, you know, uh, I could be down there in an hour. You know, right now she's kind of smelling like mothballs, but you know, if we get her in there, she, everything will be fine. Uh, well, you know, I don't I don't partake in too much of that. Uh, we have, you know, we've tried to do things like that before, and the federal government normally comes in here and swarms in and shuts us down for things like that. What if I said I'd give you 3500 up front and nobody's got to know nothing? I could be down there no. in an hour. I'll throw her in my hatchback. I'll be down there in an hour. No, we make more than that. 15 minutes around here. Really? Okay, well, what's yeah, the... Yeah, well, that ain't worth it to us. I can tell you that. What, what number are you looking for? Hey, look, uh... Dana number, it can't be bought. We're priceless around here. Priceless. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, hey, I'll head on down to the next uh, freezer place, see if they want to make some money. Yeah, take it easy. Appreciate you. Thank you.
back, everyone. Welcome back. Yay. So I hope you guys stuck around because I still love that video. I like this. I don't know how many times I've seen it now, but it just is so good. It's so good. It's very cool. Very yeah. Cool. I mean, it just kind of has a vibe about it. It gives you this feeling of someone being on that journey and right. ties I, ties in perfectly with our episode tonight. And even even the lyrics were were talking about you know hit points and D and D related stuff. Yeah, it was great. It cool. was so cool. I recently was exposed to a to a genre called dwarf metal. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I just saw it this morning. Really? Wow. I actually, I actually sent them to. I didn't send them. I sent a link to Josh, and I said we need to get these guys on our show. Right. <laughs> yeah. My wife metal. found it. She's she she finds all the music for me, and and she's amazing. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. All right. Yes. So How we're here to talk about backstories, and you let us in perfectly with what is a character and what do you need to think about for your character. So I wanted to start off with. You know, as a DM, when you start getting everybody gathered in for the campaign, I had yeah. this experience where I had one person who said, "Does do I really need a backstory? Like, do I have to have a backstory? Yeah. And, and I think it was because she just kind of wanted to, like, she just wanted to be in the world and experience, experience the world and take it, you know, it's, it's uh, what did you call it? Like escapism, right? So she just right. kind of wanted to take a day off from having right. connections with anything i'm not entirely right. certain but that's what i wanted to ask you like how do right. you feel about the level of backstory have you had a player come to you and say i don't want a backstory or you know i i haven't had many players not want to have a backstory but i i have certainly seen players where i've been a player in another game where they've sort of chosen to have very thin or no backstory at all where you can sort of just go in. I mean, to, to, to be fair, this is usually with things like Tomb of Annihilation or, mm -hmm. um, you know, Strad, where you have to get through the Death House and you've already lost three characters trying to get through the Death House and the DM is treating it a bit like a video game. And, um, you know, you after your third character, you're like, well, I'm not going to waste my time writing a backstory because he's I'm just going to die anyway. anyway. <laughs> you know, what's the fucking point? So, yeah. you know, I get that. You don't want to invest too much in a character that might be dead in, in a within the next session or so right um and I know certainly in my teens and early 20s i didn't tend to make much of a backstory on certain occasions on other occasions i'd write 20 pages of backstory so i don't know uh, I, I i see the value in discovering the character mm -hmm. through play i think that is a totally legitimate way to go about it um if that's your goal if you are, on the other hand, just going in there to avoid making a character or playing a character or role-playing, um, then you have a different goal. And I hope the best for you because your group might not think that's as awesome as you do. Right. Um, but maybe they do. So, you know, you never know. I'm not judging. Um, yeah. Jay yeah. is not in my MTBI, MBTI thing, so I'm not judging. Um, <laughs> unlike this one over here. Um, she's got a J. Yeah. Know, like, I was like, wait, wait, where are we pointing? Pointing in the wrong direction. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's um, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I do, I would. I mean, not that I judge, judge, but I would just say that if that's the way you want to play and yeah. you've discussed it with your group, I mean, 
you know, maybe one campaign or one session, you know, they'll see if they are a good fit. But if they're not a good fit, then you need to find your people because there are people who like to play like that. And that's mm-hmm. fine. But then you need to play with your people instead of like kind of ruining the experience for the, for the rest. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, it doesn't outright ruin it for them. It may, I mean, it may be that, um, it may be that it just doesn't really matter. I mean, if everybody else has got a backstory and you're just sort of floating through it without too much concern about that, um, right. you might not, you might not, you don't have to be disruptive, you yeah. know, just because you don't have a backstory doesn't make you disruptive. And there's plenty of characters that have got very secret backstories that don't really come out in the story anyway. So they're t- sort of more or less without a backstory. Right. Well, the backstory might be quite vague. Um but I mean, the thing is, the minute you choose a character class and a race, you kind of have a backstory. You've got the bones of a backstory right there. Um, and right. if, you, if you're playing D&D, you've got a background, too. So there's another part of your backstory. So it's pretty hard not to have some, some at least yeah. an intuitive sense of who your character is at some level. And it's a combination between your, your race, your class, your background, and then your own experiences and your own prejudices and what you like. Right. You know, and, you know, now that we're kind of talking this through, I'm realizing. So she said, I don't want a backstory. But what I realize now, oh, my gosh, revelation, revelation, mind blown. It's not that she didn't want a backstory. I think she felt like if she had a backstory, that would be tied to having a goal. And she didn't she wanted her character to just kind of like float around with the group and not necessarily have to have some kind of an objective that she had to try to complete. And that's what I think she really didn't want. Because she has a backstory. She does have a little bit of a backstory that's developed in game. But right, that's right. what and that's it. cool. Yeah, and that that can work really organically like that. And sometimes that's the sometimes that works the best. I mean, to be honest, I think that a combination of the two works the best. But you can yeah. totally do that, and allow it to just develop from the story, especially with one shots. Yeah, where you're taking elements of what's being put in front of you and saying, "Hey, that's cool. It's in the world. I can touch and connect to it. Can that be part of my backstory?" Yeah, um, and it makes sense. Um, and Further to that, because it's in the world and all of that stuff, and because it's so connected, it's going to be there's going to be some pathos related to that. It's going to feel right, right? You know, and it's going to be meaningful rather than you know what's really what I hate is backstories that mean nothing that basically just don't don't connect in any way to the story. They have nothing to do with the player characters, the other player characters of the group. They have nothing to do with the scenario that they're in. Um, basically, you're an alien, and your fish out of water is, yeah. is, a, is an archetypal story, and that's what you're playing. And okay, there's there is a thing to that. I mean, it sort of brings across ideas and themes of sort of dystopia and um, alienation, um, other kinds of themes that you're playing for there, and that that might be reflective of your inner self or your inner mood or what have you. Your own subconscious is coming out there, mm-hmm. um, and you should be aware of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. You have a point. Because uh, my my main question was kind of a, uh, in general, how much backstory should a person have, right? And it and it's it's dependent. <laughs> as much as the DM can can read <laughs> reasonably, right? But like for one shots or like you said for certain campaigns where you just know it's you're kind of going in like a video game, that makes sense that you don't necessarily need much of a backstory, um, right? And then there, right. I, there are those folks that kind of have like a good idea, a general idea. Maybe they write a paragraph and 
they build as things as they experience things in the world and realize like oh my character would react this way to this thing and now now it's right. canon um right. and then there are people i don't know about you but like me i'm known for turning in like five page back to back yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do do that to be fair when i'm i often do that kind of stuff as well and uh, i I'm realizing now, having spent some time DMing a lot of games, that it's puts a lot of pressure on the DM. Yeah. Um, when you do that, and it's it's cool in a way, but it's because you've, you've got so much to work with. There's so much texture there. It's really good for you as a player, but you cannot expect the rest of the group to a read all of it, b care about it you know, or C, be able to really integrate it because everybody's got their ideas and the DM's already probably, probably got a world already sort of set up. So right. then if you come along with your backstory and it's 20 pages long and it's got all of these notes and details and you've done this kind of independently of the DM, you're kind of asking the DM to take all that stuff, all those NPCs, all their backstories it, yeah. and all of that shit and then make it relevant mm -hmm. to the game. Because you're you're putting that expectation on them, because otherwise you wouldn't have put it in there. You're expecting this to be meaningful yeah. in the story. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. We can talk about ways to mitigate that in a minute when you're right. ready. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like, and this is kind of the consensus that I saw across the board um, when I talked with folks about this, is that you know the extreme sides of how much backstory to build were right. kind of problematic, but somewhere yeah. I think it seems like maybe like about 70% uh, have have a 70% uh, backstory with room yep. enough for the DM to fill in something that surprises you or for you to discover the rest of your personality, your character backstory, what have you in right. game. Um, right. I think that was the overall consensus. I think well, that's a good number too. Yeah. I think it's really, 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 really important. And I'm to say really one more time. Um, and this is in my opinion, and this is especially with my games, but other people, you know, feel free to do it however the fuck you want. I'm not telling you how to, how, how to have fun, have fun your own way, but um, work with your DM, work with them. You're collaborating, you're telling a story together, you and the group. Um, and this, you know, you can collaborate just with the DM or with the whole group, which is what we did with our vampire game session zero on Sunday night, where we sat down as a group to make our characters so that they could work together, as opposed to a group where everybody's an edgelord and nobody wants to work together. And the DM spends the whole fucking session trying to fight you to make you work together and causing you to be railroaded, mm -hmm. you know, whereas if you create characters that already know each other and are already working together, this, this is a whole lot easier and it's a lot easier to move things forward. But if you work with the DM, the DM's going to say, okay, well, you want to come from the city. Okay, well, this is the name of the city. This is Here's some information about it. You're a paladin. Okay, well, these are the orders of paladins. Um, you want to be a wizard. Okay, well, these are the schools of wizardry. You want to be a this or that. You, know, you, you tell me that on an archetypal level what you want, and I will give you the details and the names and and color that a little bit you know and if you've got really specific ideas about certain things we can collaborate on that i mean there's certainly the dm's always got room to uh compromise you know there's always and it's always a, a little bit of a compromise um 
Yeah. So knowing and knowing the law of the world before you start making your character is kind of smart. Yeah. Where you go in there with no idea about the world that you're playing in, you're going to make a character that's very generic or your character is going to have nothing to do with the world, which does not connect them in any meaningful way. Right, and no connection. you might as well not have a backstory in that sense, you know, because you're going in there as a blank slate. Um, and then the DM is like, this causes the player to expect you as a DM to use hooks from your backstory that aren't in the world mm -hmm. um, and aren't part of the, because like for me personally, my world is about the examination of a theme, like a central question. And if your backstory has literally got nothing to do with that, well, why is it there? It doesn't add anything. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't polarize any drama. Mm -hmm. right. right. So that's, that's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So can I ask you a quick question? Because I have not yet done this where you have everyone create their characters together. And right. I'm curious, have you had people, cause here's, here's what I experience when mm. I have had people get their, create their characters. They have pieces of their characters that they want to remain secret from the group until right. they choose to Reveal unfold it. that. So now yeah. do you, when you're having everyone create their characters as a group, do they just not mention those pieces or is it like yeah. everyone yeah, just... knows the secrets, but they cannot metagame and, and not have it. I'm, I'm just curious how that. I think that it could work either way, but it does depend on the maturity and experience of the players. Mm -hmm. If you've got experienced players who, for example, if they had an acting experience and they, they, they know how to serve a story and they know how to play vulnerable characters um, and they and, and have, have worked with a script. Obviously, if you've played a, a character with a script, you know what's going to happen. You yeah. know your character is going to die in Act Three, in Scene Four, the you know in the, in the tower. Um, so you you already kind of know what's going to happen, but you still are able to play the character. It doesn't doesn't right. destroy your ability to act. It doesn't destroy your ability to go through the emotional story that's that's about to unfold. So it's totally possible to metagame knowing that somebody else has got some secret, you know, and it can't be fun because the fun now is for you to not reveal it. The fun is for you to be surprised. It's for right. you to find ways to be surprised and to make it even more interesting. Now you can play into that instead of um, kind of having your suspicions and then trying to reveal them in game. You can play against your suspicions mm -hmm. um, and, and push them back. And then, then your surprise is transformative and that transformation for your character is part of your character arc that's character development so kind of trying to guess what's going to happen is kind of you're kind of fighting against the story when you do that you, you're right. better off in my opinion not to not to try and figure out every little detail in advance but let it let it flow around you and yeah. allow your character to discover these things um just push it out of your mind but on the other hand, you know, you can do it the other way. And that can be equally as surprising because, you know, you, because then it's genuine surprise, genuine shock, what have you. Um, so, I mean, it, it really depends on the group, how, yeah. how they, how much experience they have and how they, how they view role playing and, and just their personal feelings too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking at it as if I was some fucking expert. I'm not, I'm just telling you what I think yeah. um, and what I feel. So, 
you know, everyone's got their own strengths and weaknesses. Some people are really good at metagaming. Other people are shit at it. Yeah. And they they can't help themselves but inject what they know somehow right. into the story. I think it's perfectly fine. Like, for example, I was talking earlier about making my halfling character. The only thing I know about the game is that it's going to be in a carnival. So I've tried to connect my character to the storyline by making him really excited about carnivals. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really small. It's a really minor thing, but I feel that it will make a difference to the story. Whereas if I'm indifferent, that adds nothing. Yeah. You know, if my backstory is about how I love hugging trees, <laughs> that adds nothing. If I, my backstory is <laughs> I hate ogres, well, unless there's an ogre, yeah. it adds nothing. You know, so take what you know about the story and build that into your backstory because that connects it. Right. Um, Anyway, yeah, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. It does. I was just trying to imagine, yeah, how how I would do that, you know, doing character creation the next go around. And I think I would probably do something in between where, like, I would have them create their characters all together, but let them know that if there is a secret piece of them that they need right. to, you know, hide, well, then that's just for so me. You know, we were talking last week about, like, obviously we're talking about one-on-one -on -one sessions and about doing prequels with individual players, mm -hmm. right? So you can create your base characters as a group, and that's that, that stuff has to be kind of canonical because everybody has to agree to certain terms and conditions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you do your prequels with each player, and that's where you can develop those secrets and those extra lines of intrigue yeah. you know what i mean yeah so you can do both of those things and then you've got the whole the whole cake the whole kit and caboodle i <laughs> love you, it i love right? it i can't wait to i'm gonna give that a try next time and yeah let you know how it goes I'd love to know how it goes because i mean i'm always experimenting with this shit i and sometimes i'm just lazy you know right. sometimes you just can't you don't have the time or the energy to do all of this stuff it's not always possible in my case it's so, i just forget because i forget everything so <laughs> that's <laughs> why I write time. these. That's why I write these extensive notes because my right. brain just does its Swiss cheese. Um, right. But okay, so now we did touch a little bit on this. You uh, hmm. were talking about um, what is a character and what goes into a character. So hmm. uh, my next question, if we're talking about character creation, backstories, things like that, what should your backstory include? And you, I want right. to talk like at the extremes again, at a minimum, okay. and then like right. at so, a maximum. My gosh, there's you could so much. Well, okay, well, first of all, I want to suggest a an approach um, to it, which I guess the the first thing I would say is when you're making a backstory and you haven't yet had a chance to talk to the DM, but you're really excited about your character, maybe make up like a, a list of bullet points of things that you want to include in your backstory. Mm -hmm. And it might be, I want to have an arch rival, but you don't necessarily name them. You don't necessarily describe them. You just say, I want to have an arch rival. And I want to have want this kind of relationship, yeah. right? Um, I want to come from a city, like a capital city. You don't necessarily have to say where it is because you might not know. Mm -hmm. I want to come from such and such a place. I want such and such an event, but don't necessarily go into too much detail about that leave copious amounts of room for the, for, you, for the collaboration 
with the DM and the other players. Mm. Because if you if you fill in too much of that, the DM's either going to have to go, okay, I will just add that whole bunch of shit into my world that I've already created, and right. it doesn't really fit there, but okay, I'll do it because I'm a nice guy and I don't know how to say no because a lot of DMs just can't say no to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I love saying no to players. <laughs> I don't really. Um, uh, I, I hate actually saying no to players. I'm, I'm a big pushover, actually. I just love same. to come across it. Nature, pushover, mm. demeanor, tough guy, mm. tough DM. That's my demeanor. But my nature is pushover, actually. So, you know, but I like to come across as if I'm a hard-ass DM and I'll kill your character, which I very rarely do. Sorry, Jojo. See, um, and I feel like I'm the opposite. Nature is like... I will stab you in your sleep, but my Brilliant. is like, hi everybody. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <Hilarious>. okay. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's the first approach. Um, I guess so. You're asking what should be in the backstory? What yeah. should actually be included I'm just in that? Just kind of curious, like from the right. spectrum of people with no backstory or little backstory, they're probably right. going to be on the extreme of what's the minimum that I need to give you for my backstory or for my, right. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you can start with nouns, I suppose, people, places, and things, mm-hmm. right? Um, basic NPCs. Now, very few characters don't have parents, um, whether they're living or dead. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of characters are orphans, like probably 80% of all D&D characters right. are orphans. Um, that's Everybody's got to have a tragic but, backstory. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be a tragic backstory, but to be to be fair, tragic backstories are probably more interesting and realistic because what other kind of nut job goes off into the fucking wilderness looking and for treasure and fighting monsters? stuff, yeah. Right? It's a pretty risky business. It's got to be something slightly wrong with you to do that in the first place unless you're pushed into it, yeah. in which case that's your backstory. Right. Speaking of pushing, um, Jordan said, uh, now that we know your nature versus nurture or whatever it was, your nature and your demeanor, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're going to push you harder to level up. <laughs> uh, good luck with that, bitches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, at a minimum. Um, right. So, okay. So your minimum things, you need to have parents family who are your parents and family how were you raised did you have a happy childhood do you have a traumatic childhood um you need to sort how of were know you what born yeah. right i mean <laughs> you didn't just and, show and that's up. more or less relevant some of sometimes it's not that relevant but it's a good starting point just to get a gist of where you're at if you are using alignment and you have chosen an alignment then you need to be able to tell me why your lawful good yeah. As opposed to why you're chaotic evil or or lawful neutral or whatever the fuck. I, I want to know what your story is. Like something happened to you to make you that way. You, you just, you know, otherwise you'd probably be true neutral. I think babies are born true neutral. Right. You know, and then they from there. They haven't had any influence on them. Right. They haven't had any influence on them. And then over time, um, they spiral through the alignment chart, generally resting in one place or another most of the time, but probably not all the time because no character is that fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Um, right. No, no real person, at least. Um, so, yeah, I mean, alignment can be a good indicator of how to develop your character. Um, and so you're sort of you're knowing what your objectives are you like your super objective is a really good place to start and again alignment tells you how your character goes about getting fulfilling their objectives right but not necessarily what those objectives are um like you could have a chaotic evil character that wants 
to fall in love or want somebody to love them, right? Yeah. But they go about it in chaotic, evil chaotic way. Chaotic, evil ways. And they're like, right? why and, am I failing? <laughs> right, right. You can have a lawful good character that wants to have ultimate power. But that's because they want to create a utopia and everything, you know. So it, there's different ways of going about the same sorts of objectives, depending on where you stand on that on that kind of thing. Knowing your species, lineage, race, etc. That's yeah. key, I think. And and one of the things I talk about this a lot to to my Vangate crew because they, we, as I said, we don't use alignment much. Instead, I tend to use cultural norms mm -hmm. as a thing. And in my world, um, for example, in a very classical sense, elves and orcs generally, generally hate each other. Right. So one of the things that a lot of my characters are discovering is that they've been brought up um, with their religion and their prejudices and their preferences, all very cultural things that their characters, their cultural norms. Mm -hmm. And so they typically hate orcs, hate ogres, hate goblins, hate all these monstrous races um, and believe them to be evil so psychopaths that will rape, burn, pillage, etc. And then there's room for you to actually break down their prejudices because mm -hmm. then, then they, they come across orcs that are not the evil monsters they thought they were. Right. Um, and on, on other occasions they come across, and, and then of course, you, you know, you bring in goblins who turn and they're like, oh, the goblins probably aren't evil either. But the <laughs> goblins turn out to be complete nut job psychos. So, um, and that can kind of play with their expectations as well. But I think cultural norms is a really good way to sort of center a character. It grounds them a little bit and it avoids the nonsense of alignment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because you, you know who you hate and you know what your prejudices are. But I think it's really important that you know that they are prejudices and that they are your character's prejudices. This is not yeah. just you being a dickhead. Yeah. You know. Um, so, and as long as everybody understands that you're not being racist, your character was brought up this way. Right. Um, I mean, I also understand, to be fair, that a lot of people um, don't want to have these kinds of conflicts in their game. They want to avoid that kind of conflict because they have it in real life. Right. You know, especially if you've been exposed to racism your whole life, you might not want to experience it in the game. And that is more than valid. Right. You know, um, but th I mean, this is their where escapism too, right? So <laughs> their escapism too. And so yeah. you've got to ask your question as to why are you playing and why are you playing with these people? Mm -hmm. And if you're a DM, you've got to ask who is playing with you and what do they want and so on. So, I mean, that goes back into all of that stuff. So, I don't want to go too far down that track, but that's th those are very real and very relevant issues to consider, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Um, so you were touching on um, your physical appearance, right? Your race, right. your class, as um, right. or I guess species, race, class, whatever physical, they were going to yeah. call it now, uh, yeah. as part of your backstory, a minimum of your backstory. Which, yes, I totally agree with that. I feel right. like. For me, my minimum might be like much lower than yours <laughs> because I was thinking, okay, for if I'm going to run a game, I just need my player to tell me what race, what class, um, give me a general idea of their personality. Not that I necessarily right. need it, but I can play into it. 
you know, if right. you have at least a general well, race class and background. Yeah. I, I have to admit, fifth edition has given us this tool. Backgrounds is a great tool, yeah. and it, it does add to that. So between your race, your class, and your background, you kind of have an intuitive sense of of a person. Right. And then, yeah, motive or goal is kind of a. I mean, because I rarely DM one shots. My, my right. what I DM is you know long form campaigns. So I do need mm -hmm. like at least an idea of yeah, why are you adventuring in the world? Is it because you're an orphan, or is it because you want to find the perfect song, or because you know whatever the reason is, there needs to be a reason why you're adventuring. And I right. think that at the very minimum, your patron made you take. do it. Yeah, <laughs> something, anything, anything, right. give me something. Um, but then at a maximum, this is where, I mean, we could go on and on for days, so we don't have to talk too long about this, but you, you touched on a lot of it. And I wanted to bring up, I, I don't know how popular it is using World Anvil, but if you've never messed around with it, mm. I love using it. And I think there is a free version. Yeah, but you I have to make it public. It. Yeah, the free version is public, is. I think. That's why I don't use it, because I'm not going to pay money. Right. I but use for, Google Docs. And I'm curious, because I've been paying for it for a while, so that's why I don't. people don't quote me. Um, but I feel like if you just want to have something kind of walk you through, like, a really in-depth character creation, you can go on to World Anvil, do the free account thing, and right. it asks you... I mean, you covered a lot of it, but, like, aside from physical description, your origins, there's, like naming conventions do you have a nickname where'd you get your nickname mm. from mm. uh you know did you die before what's the story about that like are you have you been brought back to life what's right. the circumstances of your birth was there something interesting that happened when you were born i mean it right. goes into some really interesting right. questions um your social status you talked about relationships your mental status and not just you know are you sane or are you normal it's like you know, do you have any strange tics or mannerisms or right. things right. like that? It just goes really deep into these the minutia of these things. Right. Have you had a job before? Even if it right. has nothing to do, like, you know, my first job was, you know, a pizza maker. That's nothing like what I do now, but there's some history right. there and things come right. up. Um, right. uh, your accomplishments, your failures embarrassments again all these things Th that's stuff i was going to mention yeah. too yeah yeah for sure i mean you your experiences and your occupations that you've either have or have had i mean what what, what sort of training you've had do you have a mentor um yeah. because i mean that implies an npc um how old are you how old are you really Mm -hmm. So this comes up in different games. I mean, vampire is another ex example of that where your character was embraced at a certain age, turned into a vampire, but they lived up to a certain point before that. So there's how old you look and then how old you actually are, and they can ah, be very different things. That's interesting, things, yeah. You know? um, yes. Your, yeah. yeah, taboos. I thought that was really interesting. It's like, you know, right. what, you know, depending on where you're from, what would be a taboo for you, you know? And this, when you're talking about this stuff, I mean, I, I find that on the one hand, um, in my game, I've got a whole bunch of law relating to elves, especially, um, and certain groups of individuals and, and species and what have you around the world. Every now and again, someone plays something that is, I don't have, haven't developed as much, 
or even haven't included at this point and they've really really want to play this race or something and i'm like ah, okay or, or whatever so that is an opportunity for the dm to work with you and develop a bunch of stuff like when i started developing sidariel one player wanted to play a dwarf i'd already agreed to that that was fine but i didn't have a lot of lore about that so we sat down and we wrote a bunch of notes about the dwarven society and how it works we came up with titles and names of cities and certain traditions and certain history that had happened and a whole curse that was on the dwarves and we developed it together and that oh, collaboration wow. was really fun and fruitful for both of us and it stuck and now it's all canon and i don't even play with that player anymore you know wow. but it's all still here i've had players come up with rituals and greetings and things like um love light liberty and uh life um yeah. you know stuff like this that the elves do and we still still do these things that is so cool and that is a you know you bring up a good point because i was saying i was talking to players saying yeah. go to world anvil use a free account do this but as a dm if you need these prompts or you know wherever you go google but i love world anvil as a dm you could use these prompts and go to your player and say hey you gave me this backstory which gives me a b and c but what mm. about D, E, and F all the way through here. Let's build this out a right. little bit more if they're willing. Right. But I think as a DM, that could be really helpful too. Yeah, I mean, when you're working with players, because I mean, that's that's the other, other side of this. When you're working with players who are making characters, I think that your, your job there is to ask a lot of questions that the players haven't necessarily thought of. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously those questions, because you know the world, so you're asking questions that are going to sort of leading questions, bringing them into, into the storyline or into the world and, and creating that verisimilitude, a sort of sense of realism um, by asking them questions that are going to trigger them to think about ideas that are relevant to their character. You know, if you're playing a barbarian, what kind of tribe do you come from? What kind of rituals does your tribe have? Who do you worship? Um, things like deities is another thing here. Um, yeah. A lot of I get a lot of players who are like, "Oh, my character's agnostic," or they're they're an atheist, and I'm like, "Really? You're in a world where there are clerics that summon magic shit from gods?" Yeah, like, like there is you're, physical you're, evidence. <laughs> you're an atheist in this world. I mean, I, I I don't have any objections to being an atheist in real life. That's perfectly reasonable. But if you're an atheist in D and D, there's something kind of weirdly wrong with you. I feel there like. has to be a reason. Then yeah, you know, you really have to build strong. that in. Right. Right. One of the, one of my players in Vangate Chronicles, uh, Adric, he's a dwarf. Um, he hates the gods. He just hates them because they cursed his people. Um, he doesn't not believe in them. He just hates them. Yeah. But the funny thing is his, his character arc is that he is the avatar of Moradin. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so he's coming to terms with this fact over the, over the course of the story. And he's having to start dealing with knowing that he actually has been chosen to portray Moradin in the world oh, um, wow. at some point in the future. So that's an interesting character arc for him. That is. Um, that's great. Did yeah. he choose that or did you? Uh... No. Uh, well, funnily enough, the, the concept for that game is that the all, all, all the core players, all the core characters, the players that have chosen to, to go along with this at least, <clears throat> excuse me, um, are avatars of the gods. 
And they don't know that they're avatars of the gods at the beginning of the story, but the gods have decided that they're going to return to the world in the form of this party, and thus their destiny has been led together to this point. So that they, using these avatars, can go through the world, right some wrongs, do some stuff, and eventually go into the abyss and save Sahenin Moonbow's uh, avatar from, um, from Tiamat um, and restore the sacred feminine to the world. So wow. that's kind of the overarching storyline. Um, so you, all the players are avatars. They just don't know that uh, at this point. That's and so great. They're, they're learning that. Is, so, and they're not going to find that out. It's not going to become a real proper thing until they're level 20 right. at the end of the story, right? right? So it'll be the last thing that happens. So they're not going to be sort of super overpowered, um, although there are elements of this that have come through. The cleric, for example, um, she has visions of Sehenin. And funnily enough, when we're streaming, she has kids. Mm -hmm. So every now and again, she has to go and look after her kids. And so her character just collapses and has a fit and has <laughs> visions. And she comes back and I read her out one of the visions that she's had or she's got a list that she uses. That so. is an excellent way to deal with someone who has to step away from the game. Right, I right. love that. It certainly works in that context. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very specific to her character, so it's, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, greetings, Muggles. Uh, that's Jesse Har Harnett. Greetings. Hey. All right. So perfect. All right. So I think we've discussed the varying levels of how much you need in minimum for backstory and how much mm. for all the backstory um yeah. we did touch on mm. how to get inspired for character backstories back when we were talking right. about like dm inspiration and i think right. we were talking about music as well um yeah. soundtracks that's what it was that was the name of the episode so yeah. you know my next question was going to be where do you go for inspiration right. for the backstory and you know obviously right. music could be a very big inspiration for character backstory right um i've seen or talked to a few people who said well i just took you know uh gene gray from x-men and my character's modeled after gene gray and that makes it really easy to kind yeah. of come up with a back it's already built into the character yeah. the backstory what about sure. what about you any other right well like, inspiration for i guess approach yeah I mean, there's two 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 things. When you're making a character just for the fun of making a character for yourself and you're eventually thinking maybe I'll play this character, um, but you haven't really talked to a DM about it, you're much more free to make up anything you like. Um, and I love, honestly, I like taking old, strong tropes and archetypes from things like the Grail mysteries and things that are really kind of i guess tropey to be honest almost stereotypes almost cliche okay. and then them new again and doing them justice like trying to how do you play a, a real true paladin and do it justice yeah. because I, I kind of feel like most people who play paladins or play any particular character class um they go in there with the attitude that they're gonna do this thing with a twist mm. yeah, okay yeah, but everybody's doing that that's kind of boring now actually it's <laughs> kind of it's like okay you've done it with a twist have you actually played a paladin that's normal have you ever yeah. actually done that can you can you do that first you know i'll be impressed if you can do that because that actually takes discipline and yeah. and certain amount of focus to to do that you know um so and that you'll find that the archetypes are archetypal for a reason. 
-hmm. There's a reason these archetypes still exist after thousands of years and that all of these other little tropes, these other twisted tropes, they just fall away and yet yeah. the paladin keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back because it's a super strong archetype and you can't go wrong with it if you if you go down that road. Um, on the other hand, you're playing with a DM who has a, a world and your you want your inspiration really needs to come a little bit from the world, um, in, in part, you know. So you're looking at the world and finding out what inspires you about the world. If if it's a world that you know, like if you're playing in uh, Forgotten Realms or something, you might already know a lot of history, and you, you know, oh, I love Drizzt. I'm gonna make another Drizzt. I'm gonna have a dark elf <laughs> that has two swords. And I'll be honest with you, I've got an NPC who's a dark elf that uses two scimitars and he's kind of a drizzed clone but he's also very different because he's a gladiator um mm -hmm. you know so there's a there's, there's me so you added twist. a twist <laughs> I, I, fuck you <laughs> yeah, I did. exactly exactly but that being said you know um he's an npc and i don't play him all the time but it's very minor npc to be fair but yeah, yeah i added a twist i did exactly what i said i wouldn't do um awesome. and and yeah, I mean, I take inspiration. I mean, I, I play a lot more NPCs than I play PCs these days. So, I mean, I've got a – there's a gnome um, who's the quartermaster of the Daughters of Twilight in, in Vanegate City, and his name is uh, Milmore Glass. And basically, he's Tom, Hardley, Tom Hardy as a gnome um, oh, from – Right. So he, he's like, fuck you. He's really yeah. kind of quite fucking obnoxious. Um, and he's very I fucking. Can, I can almost hate. hear it. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Every now and again, he gives somebody this everlasting floss and they put it in their mouths and it shuts them up for a good 10 minutes. You know, that sort of thing. You know, so, it actually it, really does help. I think for you tell me, maybe this is a DM thing, but because we have to create so many NPCs, which is different than a PC. We don't have to build as much backstory. I do find myself just quickly going through the Rolodex of characters in my head of, you know, TV yep. show characters, movie yep. characters and going, okay, the NPC is now that I have uh, one of my magic shop owners. He's basically master Roshi from Dragon Ball Z. If you ever watched right. that cartoon, right. he's just like this old man womanizer. That's just, bald right. and short but powerful and it's yeah right i love it it's yeah quick, no easy. exactly npcs do tend to have to be like that and you also i find with npcs you keep their backstory kind of open mm -hmm. because you want them to be fluid you want to be able to change them at a, the, the drop of a hat right. if, if you need them if the, if you need to serve the story in a way that's unexpected you can just twist their character um you know, change their backstory or, or create some fact about their backstory in the moment that makes sense and that adds to the story rather than having a list of stuff that's already happened to this character and then you're kind of tied down to that and you can't really serve the story with that necessarily easily. You have to do a lot of work to make that serve the story. Right. Um, and and that, I guess that's the same thing with player characters where the more backstory that you have, the less room you've got to work with what's actually happening. Yeah. You know, so that's why you should work with the DM to make sure that what's in your backstory is going to relate to what happens. Um, so, yeah. Right. So another thing that I, I saw when I talked to folks, because um, I go through all the interwebs and our discord and chat people up about our topic and 
do right. a little research. Um, but uh, I noticed, so I had asked specifically, do you create a character with mechanics where you start with the mechanics first? Like, I know I'm going right. to be this race class and then right. build the backstory around that? Or do you have some kind of a, like this concept of the character and then you force it into a race class um, to right. get the mechanics down? And right. what I found, I actually thought this was really interesting. It felt, I mean, I, I don't have data. Like I didn't plot this into a little spreadsheet, but, but it intuition. feels, my intuition yep. feels like it is a, like half and half. It's pretty yeah. even half and half, even yeah. with one person, they're not consistent. One person could be like, oh, this character, I did it this way, but this character, I did it this way and this character, I did right. it. So it's just fascinating. There's all these different ways to yeah. make I mean, you're looking at the backstory. The, the, the thing, you know, when you, when you start a group for a new campaign or what have you, um, the first person to make their character is going to create a huge amount of influence over the rest of the group. Because if the first person who actually makes their character makes a rogue, then pretty much you know that nobody else no is going to make a rogue. Yeah. Right. So you've got one archetype covered. If the first person makes a cleric or a paladin, you know you, you pretty much excluded that from everybody else's list. It's not that they can't play another character like that. That's just that they're very unlikely to, in my experience. They generally won't pick the same thing because they feel it's going to be too similar to so and so, and they don't want to step on their toes. Yeah. yeah. So that that's. That's a big part of it. And when you do sit down together to make characters, you know, everybody discusses what kind of role they're going to play, um, especially in D&D. It's, you know, there's that healer DPS tank kind of situation that happens that's sort of evolved out of video games. I don't remember yeah. ever having healers, DPS, and tanks in D&D back in first edition. But, right. you know, since World of Warcraft, we now have this kind of Everyone general has to mechanic. feel like it's a balanced team. It's, and it's not a terrible idea, to be fair. It does kind of yeah. work. There's a reason it works, and that's fine. Um, but, yeah, filling the gaps is certainly a big consideration when you're playing in a group. You know, obviously, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, like we talked about last week, play whatever the hell you like. Mm -hmm. you know, there's much more freedom in that respect. But as a group, you, you need to be part of a cast of characters. And again, polarizing mm -hmm. drama. Make sure that your conflicts do not outweigh your bonds as a group, but have conflicts. Yeah. Conflict That's... is drama. Uh, you're right about, yeah, not having the conflicts outweigh the bonds because uh, I feel like I've experienced that a couple of times where it's like, oh, boy, all you guys are doing is fighting. Like, let's move on. <laughs> I uh, I think that there's a well, something that I want to experiment with. I've not had a good chance to really do this yet, but I would like to experiment with a group that plays characters that are more similar to each other like for example a group of elven clerics mm -hmm. all a whole group of elven clerics you might think oh but they're all going to be the same even if they're the same subclass yeah they're all going to be the same but you know i feel that it makes it more realistic from the sense that there are going to still be differences between these characters but the differences are now not between what spells they can cast right or what gods they worship the difference is now be between what foods they don't like and what, what behavior them. really fucking annoys them you know the way yeah. you pick your teeth while we're eating roasted pig really pisses me off let's do it that's <laughs> and that's meaningful realistic kind of i can i can relate to that 
you know, and when you've got characters who are bickering about shit that's not always the big stuff, um, it, it you've got a bonded group that can do stuff together, but mm. they also have drama. Um, it doesn't always have to be huge differences between people. You can play up the little things because you those can. are the things that really, you know, you know, with your family, right? Your family do things to you that yeah. other people don't even notice them. Yeah. You know, they, other people will be like, yeah, that interactive action seemed perfectly normal. And you're like, no, that was my sister doing the thing that she always does. And it reminds me of when I was 12 and she did this thing, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't Honestly, even have Honestly, that is that is a great that is an excellent form of inspiration is everybody go look at how you interact with certain family members <laughs> right because those that. are often the most dramatic in, in, uh, interactions yeah. yeah having a family having a character that is isolated from the world that has no bonds or connections to anybody yeah okay edgelord yeah you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing but it does say something about you somebody just said a knives out campaign in D and D and I, right. yes, I can see that. All right. right. So now I wanted to ask you, because this is, I don't want to say it's a hot topic, but it's definitely a topic in a lot of the forums that I'm in is using AI to generate your character backstory. Have you tried that at all? I have never tried. I'm, appalled at the idea but that being said i am only appalled at it because it would put me out of a job um so <laughs> I, I suspect there'll be a time or maybe it already has arrived where ai generated backstories are awesome and possibly better than anything i could come up with mm -hmm. um go and try it see what you think i mean if you do it and it's good then use it and if it's not good well rewrite it or or, or ignore it yeah, you know it's it's just something. another tool it's another yeah. tool in the toolbox i wouldn't i wouldn't count it out I think it's right. probably quite valid. I make a lot of AI art and some of it's good. And, but to be honest, nine tenths of it, are rubbish. Um, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. So try yeah, it. It feels like with AI, we are still the ones that have to learn the language to, to communicate to the AI what we need. So right. Still and the AI, the AI has to be trained yeah. as well. It has to have a database that is pretty compelling you know pretty pretty full okay we um, had complete. someone else in the chat who's tried it yeah so why can i, I not read say, the chat right oh now. you can't see the chat oh i'm i'm looking at a reply that's why and so that, ah. that it's not moving okay um so i've seen a few online generators where you can just go to the site and then just hit like the random button and then it'll just give you a random backstory um i've seen uh, NPC generators, people use NPC generators and kind of start there and then flesh it out. Uh, and then what I was going to maybe walk us through later if we have time as a world building exercise is just using a random word generator, like nothing to do with D&D, &D, nothing to do with fantasy, anything. It is literally just a generator that you can tell it how many random words you want and it will just pick that many random words and i no, have just, actually sorry. Huh? just noticed my wife's in chat and i just wanted to say hello i oh, love you i miss hi. you thank you for coming along awesome that's helen yeah oh, I sorry i'm interrupting missed, i didn't see it okay uh so anyway yeah i was gonna walk us through later i love the idea of 
because it really still forces the creativity. You're using an online generator, but it's only right. generating a few words. And from those few words, you are going to create a backstory that somehow right. makes sense with random words. Right. So we're going to do that in a little bit if we have time. Okay. All right. So it's going to be a test. Yes. <laughs> not really. Okay. I mean, it's not like there's a wrong answer. Right. Um, okay. So Either. moving on from Either. that, we've talked about how in depth to go with these backstories. Now as right. a DM, mm. do you have any tips or tricks or how do you incorporate the backstories? Any special things you want to talk about with incorporating backstories into right. the campaign? You kind of touched on a little bit of it. I mean, you kind of do it collaboratively with your yeah, player. Yeah, I mean, people, places, and things, you know, nouns, really. Um, like, okay, so things might be things like objects that could be like an amulet or something like that. It could be a magic item. Um, I love giving players magic items um, when they're low level, possibly even that they start with, mm -hmm. um, that um evolve with the character and have some kind of place and history in the world so that they're um they're kind of bonded to it in some way and there's there's a connection to the history of the of the place and so on um so i think that's quite a good thing i often uh, moon blades i'm kind of famous for handing out at, at sort of first level although to be fair i i've been using a new uh book from da, 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 dm's guild called ancestral weapons mm -hmm. which allows you to build um ancestral weapons um using points and you gain points as you level up or reach milestones or wherever the dm decides that you get points to add to your ancestral weapon and you can unlock powers and you can negotiate which powers with the dm um so i think that's pretty cool um having magic items especially if they're sentient ones <laughs> yes that's um, a lot of fun quite fun um, so just to make sure i understand so this is like they have this weapon from level one all the way through to level 20 or campaign ending and, yeah and somehow this weapon grows with them i love that right. i've thought it, about it, that but I, mechanically yeah. i haven't figured out how to do that right so it, basically you're unlocking powers as you go you can yeah. plan how it's going to be if you want to right at the start but yeah. you have to unlock its powers as you grow as a character um and in that way you can also have you can create scenes and you know events that help the character transition and it may be also that depending on how the character grows they might gain different powers mm -hmm. you know so that's that's kind of interesting i like making i like to ask the players if they would want to be related to each other mm -hmm. playing characters that are like with the vangate chronicles a number of the characters in that campaign have are related in fact two of the main characters are brother and sister um, and you, we saw that in Critical Role as well in the first yeah. season. I don't know about the other seasons, but it's a uh, that's a relationship that that adds so much to the story. Right. Because it's instant conflict, like you said, bonds and conflicts. Conflict. Yep, and the and the bonds outweigh the conflicts, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a really interesting way of doing it. Um, I have a a whole bunch of lineages and bloodlines and families who have different houses and functions in my world. So when players are creating their characters, they're like, I want to be a wood elf. I'm like, right, here's a list of last names. Yeah. You can choose your first name, probably from Xanathar's Guide, because otherwise you'll call your character Chad or something daft. Um, <laughs> Bob. But Bob, Bob, Bob Moonbrook, um, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so things like that certainly help. Having having kind of 
bloodlines, and then you can connect them to to a family line. You can tell them the name of their uncles, their aunts, their their fathers, their parents. Their, you know, they may have that. Those people might hold certain positions in society too. So, you know, you're giving them fuck tons of detail that they can use. Um, tons, they might, which is an actual measurement. That is a measurement we discovered last week. Yes. Um, there's a whole scale of of types of yes. Yeah. Shit was yes. and fuck tons. Can't quite remember exactly. <laughs> right. Anyway, sorry. So I guess like knowing what kind of community your character comes from and how they were brought up, pretty useful stuff. Um, how do you connect them to the? I ask my players a lot of questions. That's that's really it. You sit down with them and you ask them questions, mm -hmm. and yeah. I mean, arising from their race, their class, and their background in D and D, at least. And if it's if it's a masquerade, it's going to be okay. What clan are you, and and so on. And depending on the game you're running, there's going to be different questions. Obviously, it's going to be related to the world that they're in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's uh. I, yeah, I was going to say I don't think you've said anything that I haven't tried as far as getting a character's one. backstory tied into the world go ahead yeah what's what's the biggest lesson your character has ever learned oh my character right. or my, well, the characters just, in my okay just a general question like it's a question you could add that you could ask um you know what what was the biggest victory you ever had or your biggest win what was I your biggest see. failure you you talked about that earlier actually yeah. um sort of i, I made a note of <laughs> i wrote down the word karma um, what karma does your character carry walking oh, into the game? Okay. Now, I know that sounds really sort of vague and waffly to some people, but I'm talking about it from the point of view of, it could be like karma from a cosmic point of view where mm -hmm. the DM is like, you did something bad and this is what's following you. There's now a, a slithering tracker is following you around the world and is eventually going to catch up with you. You know, that's a monster from the monster manual, I think, mm -hmm. or one of the books. Um, or it could be karmic from the point of view that you did something bad, you know you did something bad, and part of you feels like you deserve retribution. Mm -hmm. You know, So you're always going to be playing this character that's A, a little bit paranoid, and B, a little bit scared, and C, possibly makes mistakes unconsciously on purpose. You know, So that, that could be an effect that comes from that. Um, and then you could consider that to be a character flaw. We didn't really talk about flaws either because that's that's another major aspect of characters that I could rant about. Yeah. Well, you did kind of touch a little bit about it, like with edgelords. Like, you can't be perfect. No one is perfect. So if you think that you right. are, trust me, you're not. And if if a player came to me and said that I'm an edgelord and I'm perfect, I will say, mm-hmm. And then I will throw in cool something story, there bro. that will be, yeah, right. throw them for a loop. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean... The thing about edgelord characters, I mean, you're making a character, if it's in D&D, you know, you're pretty much, unless you're rolling for stats and you're extremely lucky, which a remarkable number of people who are rolling their stats seem to be extremely lucky, I find. You know, they come to you with characters with like four 18s on their character sheet and you're like, Really? You rolled those? Okay. Mm -hmm. well, this is why I, I don't use rolling dice anymore. We we do, you know, um, point buy because it's a little bit more fair. Uh, yeah. If you're buying points, then you can't be good at everything. You kind of have to choose or you can be really average, mm -hmm. you know, but you can't be good at everything. And that's uh, – and you're part of a team. You're building a character in a team. You're not in a vacuum. That's that's the thing to remember. It's not a vacuum. 
You don't exist by yourself. So when you're making a character, remember that. That's my big piece of wisdom for the day. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was just looking to see if I cover. I feel like we covered everything. I had one. So I, I like I mentioned, I went oh. out to the interwebs. Oh, did we miss yes. something? I, I had a note that actually is kind of cool and important. Okay. Um, I, Let's I think. do the cool and important thing. So here's a really cool idea. I think this is a really cool idea for writing a backstory. You think about what is my character arc going to be, right? I want to be a character that does blah. Mm -hmm. And then you make your backstory a microcosm of that. Okay. So it's like a small, miniaturized, subtle hint at what your character is going to be. If you want your character to become the great avenger of the world, then you, maybe your backstory is that you saved a village um, okay. and you write some details about that. If you want your character to become a great archmage, you hint at it in your backstory with some seed of that thing. Yeah, you know? some so seed of magic that no one else has or something. Right. Know. So, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I recently watched a TV show where there was a character in the opening scene and uh, it was called, the show's called Better. It's a British cop drama. In the opening scene, there's a woman um, at a party and she's telling a story about um, how somebody tried to bribe her and how, and, and the punchline of the joke of the story was she didn't take the bribe because the bribe wasn't big enough. What we learned from that was that essentially she was bribable, she was corruptible, and she could be corrupted. And mm -hmm. it all mattered. What mattered was how much. And this raised the question: the, the character is a question. Characters yeah. are are questions. What are they going to do? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a microcosm of the bigger story. Um, was she corruptible? And uh, during the story, she found that she was corruptible and she had been corrupted and then she tried to uncorrupt herself um, and change. And it was difficult, a lot of obstacles. But there's an example of the sort of microcosm of the biggest story. And you often yeah. see this in movies, actually, where the opening scene is, is like a, a small baby version of the big story yeah. and you can kind of yeah. see where the themes are going. Maybe the plot's not going to be the same. Maybe the outcome's not the same. Um, and, and the microcosm could be that you fail at saving the village, yeah. which gives you motivation to become better. I feel like that would be a good tool for new players where it's like they don't have a concept yet of what their character could be. So then you just right. ask them, well, in the end, well, like, how do you imagine your character to be when you've saved the world? Like, what is your, where, where does your imagination bring you to? And then dial that back down to your level one character. That's a great idea. Yeah. Very. What, what did you call it? Cool. And it was something. Possibly useful. I don't know. Cool and useful. Um, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, Michael basically is the, the gist of it. Sort of, cool. you know, if you look at a story as a kind of fractal thing, where everything is is an element of every every part of it has the seeds of the whole thing in it, so you can kind of interpolate or is that the right word? Extrapolate? The rest of the story yeah. extrapolate perhaps yeah from from any single part of it you can see aspects of the rest of it um, in there thematically. Cool. Blah. Blah. Um, okay, so 
where was this? Oh, we did talk about this. So I don't, I don't really need to read this out loud, but I just, I, it was a great funny example that I am, I am going to read out loud. <laughs> All right, um, as I go to the internet and I talk to people, uh, this one person said, just as we were talking about this, where you don't really create like a hundred percent of your backstory, you create most of it and then leave room for the DM or for you to fill or discover as you're playing. And this person said um, that basically, yeah, they don't start with backstory or race or class, et cetera. They start with personality, which is kind of what you were talking about. Yeah. And then by the end of the character creation, they generally have a fully fleshed out personality and a couple sentences of background. Then as they play, they start filling in the backstory as events mm -hmm. unfold in the game. And right. so the example was, I guess, I, I'm not sure if I understood correctly, but it sounds like she's playing a grandma type character who rolled a nat one in a pie baking competition. So in the backstory, she all of a sudden created that. Well, she's always been bad at baking pies. And the whole right. story is, is about how everyone at functions would sneakily feed her pie to dogs and other animals to spare her feelings. And, uh, and then at one point, all the dogs right. mysteriously died from food poisoning. Oh. So it oh, led no. to a whole other thing. Oh, no. <laughs> so That's hilarious. I thought that was That's a great. great example of yeah. leaning into, you know, 70% yeah. character backstory, filling right. things in, and then really like digging that back all the way back to, oh, well, you rolled that players... one. Huh? Yeah. Sorry, some, some of our watchers may have may, may remember a game called Traveler. They may even still play Traveler. Um, I played it once or twice. In fact, I didn't actually get to play it for this exact reason I'm about to mention. In Traveler, when you're making your character, every time you do a training, you, you, you get to roll to see what, what happens. And this is while you're making your character. And it's very possible that your character gets killed before you've even finished making your character. I mean, <laughs> really? So I never ever, I never got to play Traveler because every time I tried to make a character, my character died in training. You know, So the, the sort of things where you can um, add in um, things from rolling on tables, that, that can totally work. Um, I'm not honestly a big fan of using random shit, but you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing you can do, and some games use it. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> No, that's fine. I was just checking out the comments. Somebody, I guess, was tying into the uh, the grandma with the nat one for pies, and now all the dogs mysteriously died, and then that in inadvertently leads to a John Wick backstory. <laughs> that's awesome. Have you right. seen the movie John Wick? Ah, uh, yes. I'm. I'm. I don't remember it all that well, but yeah. Well, I have. essentially, he's on a vengeance quest because someone killed his dog. I mean, of that's right really boiling it down but <laughs> right just a that's bit. the long line traveler so i'm gonna have to look this up because that sounds like a great way to do yeah. some very chaotic character yeah. creation i would think that's awesome jesse jesse's played traveler it looks like yeah yep hilarious all um, right so yeah. okay oh okay unless you had something to say i was gonna say now i'm gonna throw we're going to move into our weekly world building unless you wanted to have, say something else. One last thing really okay. is that you take your D&D &D character sheet in D&D &D Beyond, for example, there is a list of background traits and things and flaws and bonds and all of that stuff, which never used to be in D&D, &D, but they've included it now as part of your character creation process along with right. your background. And that can add a lot to it. It's a really great place to start. Really simple questions. 
if you've got nothing else, then that's a great thing you can do. Um, I suggest that you can go a lot further above and beyond what's in there and choose stuff that you make up yourself rather than just the, the random stuff that they've got. Right. But if you can't think of anything, at least it's a place to start with. So I'm just saying, <laughs> I think it's a good idea. There you go. So yes. All right, please, let's move on. Okay, so I I do this sometimes, just even with when I when I'm writing and I'm stuck or I've written myself into a corner, but I thought we could use this for character creation or backstory, not character creation, but backstory. Am I going to need paper for this? You might, or I can, I mean, I've already written the words down. I already, <laughs> I'm going to give you time to prepare. Okay. So for anybody else, if you're in the chat, you want to try along, go yep. to Google and just search for a random word generator. There's actually a website that's just randomwordgenerator.com. Um, okay. And then from there, you can choose how many random words you want. You don't have to do this, Russell, unless you want to. Um, but I just went with five random words and right, let it words. throw me the five random words. And from there, I was able to come up with a backstory. So here's the words that I got. I got syndrome. Pardon, orientation, tissue, and confusion. That's pretty good, actually, isn't it? I mean, I, I feel mean, like some of these words you can definitely tie together already. So yeah. if you need time to think, I can tell everyone kind of the backstory that I came up with for this character. Or if yeah. you already have it, feel free to tell me from these five random words what kind of a backstory you could come up with and, you and have, if you're in the like, chat if you use these five random words let me know too <laughs> right i wish i had my my little egg timer i could put up in front of you haha <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean i've got some ideas okay but let's hear your one first okay so so you go. can this way you know that way you feel like it's not a test right um because i don't have a perfect answer but i like the idea that confusion and syndrome i can kind of tie that together that maybe this character has some kind of a i don't want to say disease but definitely has some syndrome psychomatic syndrome where they um get confused every once in a while uh and I would say that the pardon, I took that as more of like a, they've been pardoned from jail or from incarceration or something. So perhaps they, you know, are someone who lives in the city, possibly like a transient that is just a little uh, on the kooky side, very confused gets put in jail enough that they know this person, this person's a regular and they're like, all right, Larry, you can go now. You know, you're being pardoned again. Peace be with you. Get out of here. Um, right. And maybe there's like a little orientation class that now he's, he, uh, for some reason, my, now my character's a he, uh, see, as I'm talking this through, but uh, because he's been put in jail so many times, cause he's just on the street being a little uh, uh, disruptive that now he has right. to go to an orientation and now this right. is like your beginning level one. You have to go to an orientation so that you can be of service to your community by going out and killing dragons or what have you. Right. <laughs> like Now we're going right. to put you in this orientation class. Right. I think, oh, I missed tissue. Good. I didn't use tissue yet. You didn't use tissue. 
I'm well, not sure how I'm going to use tissue other than that it's some kind of a weird quirk or tick, like, you know, okay, constantly blowing you. his nose. I'm going to hit you with my one then. All right. So I, I tied syndrome and tissue directly together because tissues carry snot and <laughs> snot and disease yeah. and syndromes, right? Mm -hmm. So my character was doing orientation when there was some confusion um, and a, a tissue carrying uh, as a vector for some disease caused the syndrome to occur and my character um, in the confusion got blamed for this and was put in jail and eventually got pardoned after the confusion was cleared up. Okay. So you you went the same direction with pardon. Okay. Very much the same direction as pardon. I mean, a pardon, you know, could be, it's, it's the hard, it's, it's the strongest interpretation of it. I think the most dramatic right. interpret, interpretation of pardon. I mean, as opposed to like, you know, pardon me, a tissue is <laughs> <laughs> perhaps another way of going, but I didn't think that was as strong. So yeah, I like that that version. Very similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, so that's yeah. uh, just a quick little exercise to show everyone right. if you are struggling with character Avery, creation. Avery's thrown in some words there that he grabbed. Oh, there you go. Rest okay. Restoration, anxiety, weight, trouble, charter. Okay. Do you want to try it? Let me think about it. Okay, restoration, anxiety, weight, trouble, charter. Okay. This is hard. Here's here's where okay, so this character is a cleric. And I I'm not sure about like is there a restoration domain, but I just that's that's where I would take it. Like it's this person is like a healer hmm. who is overtaxed uh or something traumatic has happened and now they can no longer heal because they are so anxious they're full of anxiety that they can't do their job properly and so they charter like a vacation ship or this ship is supposed to basically help bring them back to like you know a form of relaxation where now i can perform my duties and and be a cleric again uh but there is trouble. There's trouble. Okay, weight and trouble. How do I do weight and trouble? Let me think about this. There's trouble getting the boat. There's trouble getting the charter. There's trouble getting the boat. So now that is on hold. And so they have to hire a party to help travel with them to go the long way to get to this whatever, this retreat or whatever that they have to get into. To, to there you go. Out. There we go. So, yeah. Did it. Yeah. Did it. <laughs> what did you do? Did you do the same thing? Um, something not not dissimilar. I mean, my thoughts on it was um, the there was a charter for the restoration of the civic situation. Maybe the maybe the restoration of the crown, um, and this of course caused trouble and anxiety. But we have to wait and see. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of similar, really. But yeah. There's, there's, there's only so many ways. You, I mean, probably there are a lot of ways you could go with it, and depending on how you, which order you put those things in as well. Right. Um, and how you connect them. I mean, I, I, I wrote the words down and I started drawing lines between them, the ones that seemed to make sense. So I had a line between restoration and charter. I had a line between trouble and anxiety because those things obviously relate to each other. One's restoration and charter are kind of things. Trouble and anxiety are states of Mental, kind of states yeah. of mind yeah. trouble 
yeah, I guess it's a state of mind in a way. Um, and then that sort of led led to waiting. I mean, it could have been while waiting for the charter for the restoration of the of the crown, there was a lot of trouble and anxiety. There, there's another way of yeah. talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Jesse says, when we were on the last set of words, pardon is the nervous tick. So they have to keep saying pardon, pardon, pardon. Right. I like that. Almost like you keep bumping into people, but you're not. You just have to keep right. saying pardon. Right. And it, well, it certainly gives you a, you know, a line of dialogue actually is such a great, like a key, a key phrase or a catchphrase for a character is a great way to kind of start from with a seed of an idea for a character. Like, um, my friend Barry has this character whose name is Philippe Gratiano, and he's Italian, and he's he's a vampire. And he, um, at the beginning of every game when he's playing Philippe, he, he always um, he always says Gratiano, you know. And it just just by saying that, it puts him in character, and he can find himself, you know. That kind of thing can work. I watched a TV show the other night um, called End of the Fucking World, um, which was great. And one of the main characters in that. He's this really introverted dude who's kind of come out of being a, a, a really disturbed kid, and he's sort of grown a lot. And but as as this very deep introvert, he, he says okay a lot. He's he's very um, sup, not supplicant. He's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he, he pliable. He he. He, I get he does, what you're saying. Impressionable. You know impressionable. Impressionable in a way. Yeah, he goes with whatever's happening a lot mm -hmm. of the time. And so his character arc was for him to sort of overcome that. And so he, he like 50 to 80% of his dialogue is just him saying, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's like, that's his word. That's what he says. And when, when the other character uses the word, it's like, oh, okay, something happened there. There's this alchemy. There's this transmogrification this yeah. transfer of energies between the two characters um which is kind of interesting yeah, yeah. dialogue so like you said one line dialogue catchphrases things like that could be yeah really yeah great. actually i mean knowing how your character speaks um is really important i mean and how do you find your voice i mean part of it is how you talk obviously but your vocabulary the words that you use, the choice of words that you use is super important to that. Mm -hmm. you know, not, just, not just your accent, your accents, you, you can play an accent or an attitude, but that's not a character, you know, but choosing the, the words that you use tell us about your socioeconomic class. They tell you about your inner life and your inner feelings and, and how you see the world, you know, whereas the accent and what have you just really tells you more about the community you were brought up in, um, which is also interesting, but those things connected. And they all relate to your backstory. Yeah. So I mean, if you choose to play a Cockney accent character that says something about your character's socioeconomic class, and if you've got that figured out before you've made your backstory, well, now you've got a clue. You know, in everything that you detail about your character is a clue to the bigger picture. Yeah. I love it. I feel like we covered a lot, folks, on character backstory. If we missed anything or need to go deeper into something, we can always do another episode with more stuff on this. Um, yeah. If there's anything in particular you want us to talk about in future episodes, let us know. Um, I'm going to take this moment here 
to uh, remind you all to share our show if you enjoy it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your groups. Uh, please help us to expand by liking, sharing, subscribing. Find us on YouTube. We're on Discord, yep. a lot of us. Uh, we like to chat with you all on Facebook and on Discord. We're there all the time. Uh, <laughs> so, and our podcast, uh, once uh, it gets posted to our platforms, is available on Amazon, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, website, all the uh, all the other podcast platforms. Um, so, come find us, and uh, thank you for listening to us. So, I am going to tell you. So, we talked about last week, right? That I'm working on this outro because originally it was. Mondays can be fun days when you talk nerdy with friends. And then you had pointed out that it's Tuesday where you're at. And I had a really hard time figuring out what to do about Tuesday because I, I, it doesn't really rhyme with my anything, brain just kind of just it's stuck. So I went mm. to AI because I was really curious to see what okay. AI would come up with. So I All told right. the AI, here's what I say for my outro. And then I said, what can I say that includes Tuesday and also makes Tuesday sound like a fun day. I think that's paraphrasing, paraphrasing exactly what I asked it. But right. So it said, fun fact, dear nerds, did you know that Tuesday is the most productive day of the week? Statistically speaking, people tend to get the most work done and accomplish their goals on Tuesdays. So Tuesday is a day to kick butt and take names. Right. That's what AI gave me. A little long for an outro. I'm going to have to workshop it. I'm still workshopping right. Tuesdays. Still, are just there's, there's, some, there's some keys in there. Um, yeah. Also, you could you could take in that Tuesday um, astrologically relates to Mars, the god of war, which plays into your productivity aspects from the AI. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Now, Jesse says Tuesday is also hamburger day. Is that like a local thing? That's just something he does with his with his uh, girlfriend and their dog. Okay, because I was going to say here I'm in California, Tuesdays are Taco Tuesdays. They're not hamburger Taco Tuesdays. Tuesdays, right? Taco right. Tuesdays. But I'm curious. I was curious about that. I will continue to workshop. This might just become a thing. This is now my my next segment or skit. Is what the heck is Tuesday? Right. What the heck w is, what is Tuesday anyway? W T F T. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. What even is Tuesday? What? Yeah, what is even a Tuesday? Anyway, yeah. folks, uh, that's me signing us out. Uh, we're done talking about our topic tonight. Next week, I'm not entirely certain what we will be talking about yet, but we will let you know as soon as we know. Right. All right. right. Oh, yeah. And, and Tur, Thursday. Oh, wait. Not next week. Not next we'll, week. Well, we we're not sure. It. We're not entirely sure what's going to happen next week. Mm. Everyone, mm. it's my birthday next week, and I'm turning old. So turning old. I'm turning old, very old. Not very old, but... <laughs> a fuck ton of old? A ton, fuck ton of old next week. So I will not be here, but we will figure out what's going on with the show. We will communicate it to you all, so I guess this is your heads up. And um, all right. I think that's it, everybody. We will see you soon. Thank you for joining us and talk to you next week. Mm, like and subscribe and share. Like and subscribe and share. Thank you. Right. Mm, mm.